0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
1: Hey, it's Gonzano I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
2: Initialize sequence. Welcome
3: to The Baldcast.
4: A production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth.
1: Well, here we are a day later, and you know, you know how sometimes... You go out and you go, maybe you go shopping and you buy a shirt or a pair of pants or a sweatshirt. I don't know. I don't do that as much anymore, but I'm trying to, I'm reaching for a metaphor. You go out and you buy something at the store and you like the way it fits, right? And then you go home. What happens? You wash it. You wear it again. You're like, "Ah, I don't know. You tell me a day later, the Damian Lillard trade, how does it fit you now? What do you make of what Lillard is singing about and talking about as he departs from Milwaukee? Were you surprised at the national narrative as it pertains to the trade of Damian Lillard? You're a Blazer fan, or you grew up here or live here in the Pacific Northwest, or maybe you listen to this show from outside the footprint. You understand it's a different market. It's a different place. I always try to explain to outsiders, hey, people in... This part of the country they uh they're connected on a deeper level to their sports teams. Like you you know, you can say Boston fans or SEC football fans are unhinged. You can say Philadelphia sports fans are different, maybe they're mean, I don't know, passionate. But I can just tell you like I worked in six different markets, six different newspapers. A variety of media entities, different parts of the country, been in the Midwest, covered the Big Ten, covered Notre Dame, lived in Tallahassee. Uh, I've been to SEC football games. I've seen the culture of SEC football. I have seen, the, obviously, the Pac-12, the NFL, Major League Baseball. I've covered those things. And I'm here to tell you that you are different. You are different. You are the, the kind of fan base that shows up 3,000 strong to greet Rudy Fernandez at the airport when uh, when he is uh, Rudy the Latin Lover is coming in to play for the Trailblazers, kids blew off school and went to the airport. You are the kind of person that goes down to Pioneer Courthouse Square when Greg Oden is drafted number one, and then the Blazers are trying to introduce him to the city, and they say, "Well, what's the biggest place that we could we could have there where we can introduce Oden to the city? Let's take him." to Pioneer Courthouse Square, the heart of the city, and introduce him. And five or 6,000 people show up to greet Greg Odin. It's a different fan base. And you suffer together, too, right? Like, let's be real about it. As a Blazer fan, you have suffered. And I think that's part of what bonds and binds Blazer fans together. But I, I, I will stand by the fact that I, I tell outsiders, I tell my friends who I grew up with in the Bay Area, and I tell people that I've worked with at different parts of the country, They'll say, what is the Pacific Northwest sports fan like? Or what is the Portland sports fan like? Or what's the Duck fan like? Or the Beaver fan like? And I go, you know what? It's the kind of person that when their football team didn't make a bowl game for like three decades, they stuck with the team, kept showing up. It's the kind of person that when the Blazers are playing really well, everybody in the state gets on board with it and is proud of it. When things are going bad, everybody kind of laments it. It's the kind of place where when teams or individuals succeed, you continue to root for them long after they've left the Portland market. Marcus Mariota goes off to the NFL, you know, the whole state of Oregon, like the Beaver fans, you know, Oregon State took out a full page ad in the newspaper, you know, congratulating Marcus Mariota on the Heisman Trophy. And then all of a sudden you've got like TV stations in Eugene and Portland. That all are putting the Tennessee Titans football games on, or or, or the stations, the local stations are getting called and, and hammered by viewers who are saying, "Why are you showing the Titans game? Damn it!" Because they're in Tennessee. Well, they didn't understand you as a sports fan. Same goes for Justin Herbert, who's now getting it done in San Diego or L.A. Chargers, uh, and and you you know you've got a bunch of people wearing Chargers jerseys. You're just different that way. That you know, I can tell you like. The the Bay Area sports fan doesn't live it and love it like you. And I covered Indiana basketball, and that fan's rabid. Bobby Knight was the coach when I was there. That fan base was super rabid and delusional. But it was largely a bandwagon fan base that had grown up with it and loved it because it was a feel-good thing in the winter when the weather, when the weather turned bad and it was ugly outside. All the Hoosiers went indoors to watch basketball and watch Bobby Knight's teams play, and they were really good, and, you know, it was kind of what they did together. But, you know, I I still think that the Portland sports fan and the Pacific Northwest sports fan, I'll extend it to Seahawks fans, Mariners fans, Husky fans, Cougar fans, Duck fans, Beaver fans, Winterhawks fans, all you know, I, even the Timbers and the Thorns. Like, you know, it's not accidental that the greatest— success story in women's professional sports as a as a team sport happened when the Portland Thorns started drawing 20,000 fans per game. And it's not accidental that the Timbers, who might only have about 22,000 fans, you know, get, like a magnet, got them all inside the same building for a long stretch. And that franchise had tremendous success and became a place to see and a place to be. Well, let me ask you this now. It's been 24 hours. You're different as a sports fan in a sports market. Outsiders are saying this trade of Damian Lillard, you know, they talk about it in large sweeping terms, like Dan, Le- Dan Lebitard in, in Miami talking about the trade of Lillard as though it is some kind of statement that the league is making, making uh, against uh, star players that, you know, they're taking a stand on the Damian Lillard front. And, uh, you know, and, and that he is the final straw and he's, this is the owners pushing back, you know, and and I and I cringe a little bit because I go, you know what? They don't really get you. They don't understand you. um, You know, Dan Lebetard's show yesterday, I thought gave us an idea or an example of how the national media just kind of misses the point when it comes to you and your relationship with your teams and your star players. After, what
0: is it, a decade or 12 years of total player empowerment, Damian Lillard is the crossroads on, no, we will not respect your power, your leverage, and your relationship with our city. You want to leave? Okay. You don't get to choose where it is you go we're going to you want to go to miami we're going to send you to something close to the opposite of miami you're going to go to milwaukee and you're going to either take your money and like it or now request a trade like you've been threatening so that Milwaukee has to trade him to Miami because he's actually willing to lose money and he's not going to show up for work as the start of his business relationship with Milwaukee. Damian Lillard as the crossroads, because we've been saying for years, why do you always have to do what Harden wants? He's got a contract. He doesn't have a no-trade clause. Well, you got to call the players bluff. And Lillard wasn't able to get dirty in public? On behalf of wanting to get here, he didn't want to ruin the fan base loyalty that he has with Portland by making a mess, and so now he gets the power taken away from him and sent to a place he doesn't want to go. To me, that's the most interesting part of all of this, that the place that it stops on player empowerment is Damian Lillard. You're too old, and you have too much money late in your contract. You can't have
1: this power. Not necessarily. Like Maybe there's some truth to the fact that he's older He's got too much money left in his contract. But I just felt like with Lillard, there were two things going on. One was the relationship that Damian Lillard had with Blazer fans, which was very unusual by NBA standards. Normally, you have NBA fans and you have NBA star players in their markets, and these two things don't have a lot in common. It's not relatable to look over at somebody making five hundred to $600,000 per game while you're, you know... Going and, and saying, gosh, I can't even afford to take a family of four to the game. It's not relatable at all to see somebody making forty or fifty million dollars a year in salary. You can try to relate, but in most NBA cities you can't. But what I think was very different about Portland was that Damian Lillard had a frustration with Blazers management that mirrored the frustration that Blazer fans had with management and ownership. You were in it together in that way. Very relatable. I talked to people, I just crowdsourced last night. I was out, We started talking to people, asking them what they thought, and everybody was like, well, it's sad that he's gone, but I'll root for him. You're not going to find that in the wake of a James Harden. You're not going to find that in Oklahoma City as Kevin Durant goes on to play for the Golden State Warriors. You're not going to find that across the league as you see star players asking for a trade. You're not going to see the fan base going, oh, I hope that guy goes out and wins. I really am in it with him. Because I think romantically and down deep in your heart, you sort of see the Damian Lillard arc as an extension of yourself. Like, if you could for a moment trade your fandom of the Trailblazers to be a fan of the Milwaukee Bucks, if you could do what an NBA player does and just switch jerseys, I bet you'd do it today. I bet you would. 503-417-7575 is the number. A day later, how is this trade fitting you? Steven, a day later, how do you see it differently?
5: Yeah, I mean, for me, again, I'm kind of the same as I was yesterday. Like, I'm excited for Dame to go get his real chance to win a championship because we all felt that way. We all felt that we wanted Dame to win a championship in Portland as a Trailblazer fan, but we knew that just wasn't going to happen, especially now with where the team is. So I am still happy for Dame that he got out and he's gonna go to the Bucks who, you know, are the new betting favorites to win the championship. But for me, John, now I I'm more looking forward now. Like I'm not turning the page and saying, you know what, I'm never gonna think about Dame again. But I kinda am thinking like I'm excited to watch what this team is now. I'm excited to go to the new era with Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson. You talked about it yesterday. Can Chauncey Billups coach, we're gonna find this out. We're gonna find out some things about this franchise that we just haven't known because Dame has been here. Dame has put a big Band-Aid on everything. Dame has put the you know the weight of the franchise on his shoulders, and he's covered up so many mistakes, so many bad things that have happened in this franchise. He's been the big Band-Aid. He's gone now. So we're going to see a lot of other things, and hopefully you know, something good happens out of it, and Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson can be the guy that really turned the franchise around after Dame. So I'm, I'm more excited than anything. I'm glad it's over, and I'm glad Dame's going to get a real chance to win a championship.
1: Now, David Lillard has issued a song. He released a song called Farewell that uh, has got some lyrics in it that are interesting. Again, I would rather just have a conversation with him, but here's the song. Here's at least a chunk of it.
2: An arrow pointed at who assumed it was greater. Amazing what I get in return for this labor. I continue leaving trails, but won't be for the Blazers. To the fans, man, I love you. It's unconditional. Reasons for me leaving the city's nothing typical. So it's imperative not to believe the narrative. Just know that what I left is better than what I inherited. I leave at peace because I know in the end that this is business. Hope you remember all the things you got to sit and witness in the future man I hope we agree with hugs and kisses but you should know that they're the ones who chose another mission, another mission, another mission. basically
1: puts it puts it back on the blazers saying they're the ones that chose uh a uh, you know a different path and, here. Not, and not to
5: believe the narrative whatever that is John don't he says don't <laughs> believe the narrative
1: don't, yeah but here's the here, I got I got a couple things I, I I did see in there that kind of jumped out at me he says I, I basically says I left it better than I found it right it, it, you know, he has that line in there about, you know, it's better than what I inherited, what I'm leaving behind. Is it? Is it better than what he inherited? Like, I, I think if we look at this, you know, we look at coaches and we say, is the franchise better off than it was before the coach came? And you argue and you go, okay, yeah, they had some success and he's elevated the program. Like Mario Cristobal left the Ducks better than he found them, right? He handed them off to Dan Lanning. He inherited him from Willie Taggart. He left them better than he found them. Kelfrich, He inherited from Chip Kelly, but he left it a four and eight team. It didn't leave it better than he found it. Although he made it to a uh, you know a national championship game in the middle there. Did Damian Lillard leave the Blazers better than what he inherited? That is a good question. Um, I don't
5: think I think about this. I yes, I would say yeah because he did bring attention. I'm trying to think back when Dane was drafted. I mean, they still had LaMarcus Aldridge. It was still kind of his team. They were getting over the Brandon Roy, Greg Oden era. Um, so it was still on the downfall, and Dame kind of elevated it. I would say, yeah, I would say he did. He made it in a better spot. And I think it's mostly just because it's been – up in the air of who the owners, who the owner is, uh, you know, the head coaching, new Shea, all this kind of drama. But Dame just kind of put a bandaid over everything, and he really made it so the Blazers acted like they were a good franchise that made the playoffs all the time, like they were known to be a playoff fixture, even with all the drama, all the problems that were off the court. So yeah, I would say he did. I'd say he'd leave, he left it better than when he got here.
1: Brian is in Milwaukee. Brian, how's the trade fit you today?
6: Hey. It's great to talk to you and Steven uh, on how you doing, but yeah, I'm proud of Cronin to hang in there for as long as he did and get the best
7: that they could get, I guess. I don't know, but I think it sounds like that, Yeah, and, and I, I... Um, God, I love Dane,
3: I'll root for Dane. If it was a game against the Blazers, I'll
6: root for the Blazers. But, yeah, I don't know. We're probably three years away from being significant.
1: Yeah, and I think when you look at what they've got, the window, I guess the timeline, the arc, the trajectory, the ages of the players now are reset again to younger players. And that's why Drew Holiday, you know, we all kind of look at him and we go, okay, he's, He's got to be traded. He doesn't fit. Uh, Dre in Portland. Dre, how's it fitting you today?
4: Jay, quick disclaimer, not a Blazer fan, but I will say it was time. It was time to let Dame go.
6: I think Dame realized that. And as a basketball fan, I'm excited to see Dame against the rest of the teams in the NBA, and, and hopefully he does go out with a championship. I'm glad that he's leaving with his help. And his game is still, you know, it's still, it's still game time. So, you know, from, from a basketball fan standpoint, I'm excited for him.
1: Yeah, he got out alive, too. Like, you know what I mean? I look at a lot of Blazer players and I go, yeah, they, they didn't get out with their best years. He still has an opportunity with a couple of years here. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the Milwaukee Bucks did not consult Giannis before making this trade. Do you believe that, Steven? Stephen?
5: Yes, I do. Um, I, and the reason I think that is is because we talk about the Blazers franchise and how you know untrustworthy everybody is. I think the Bucks have a different type of management, and their general manager has free say of what goes on. Sometimes I think Joe Cronin he has to do exactly what Burt Cole and Jody Allen say. I think the Bucks. Sure. I think the Bucks let their people do their thing and their general manager said, you know what? This is what's best for myself to keep my job. This is what's best for the franchise, this is our best chance to win a championship. This is the best chance to keep Giannis as a matter of fact. Without
1: him, you know, because Well that's the thing that gets me though because I, I, you know, for the Blazers fans, I wanted the Blazers to be that franchise that went out and got a star player, but I but we all know they just don't have that in them.
5: And that's the thing. I think Milwaukee has that in them. They have the confidence in themselves to say, you go do your job and you go get the best player. And had he said, hey, Giannis, we were looking to trade Drew Holiday, Giannis may have said no because he is not, he's a good dude and he likes Drew Holiday. Like, that is a real thing. So I think he just said, you know what, I'm going to take all the pressure off of it. I'm going to make the decision. If it doesn't work, it's my fault. I'm the one that's going to be fired. But I'm going to put it in my hands and I'm going to make this move.
1: Uh, Jerry's in Clackamas. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Doing well. Hey. I, uh, first of all, um, I think Cronin uh, did probably as good a job as he could with what was available. And as far as uh, putting Dame in a position to where he can win, and obviously now they're, Vegas says they're the number one lock on the NBA championship. So you can't fault uh,
4: him for that. You know, I've been watching the Blazers, paying attention to them for a long time, and, you know,
1: maybe we need the the ghost of Harry Glickman to come in here yeah Well, you need something. But, you need a new owner is what you need. You need Phil Knight in charge. Mark and Beaverton, go ahead.
7: Hey, John. So, I'm a cynical old man. I mean, I wish Dame the best. I hope he wins multiple. I hope Milwaukee wins the next five NBA championships. Otherwise... I have no positive outlook for the Blazers as long as Jody Allen owns the team. I think she's a cancer. I think her own ambivalence towards selling the team is affecting the team's attitude from the president all the way down to, you know, the ball boys. Uh, I hope they make the playoffs. I think they will. But until they improve their team defense, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to have the same pattern as they've had in years past. I mean, how many teams have we had in the past 10 years that won 50-plus games when we had Batum? And Marcus, Marcus, but did they go anywhere in the playoffs? No, because they couldn't play defense. So th- to me, that's the benchmark is if they go anywhere, if they have a better defense, then yeah, they could actually go somewhere. Other than that, it's going to be the same thing.
1: Five times in the last 15 years, fifty they won 50 games. And you're right. I think sometimes, and I think often, the, the messaging and the culture that is set from on high uh, permeates throughout the organization, good and bad. Joe Lorig, assistant coach, University of Oregon football, is coming up next. Hey, the big fake punt against Colorado, what dictated that? I'll ask Lorig. Plus, what's it like to go fishing with Dan Lanning? We'll talk to the special teams coach, Joe Lorig, coming up. I thought a big, big play in Oregon's win over Colorado last weekend was that fake punt from their own seventeen a backbreaker, really. It was one of those emotional plays that uh, you think just breaks a team's will. Joe Lorig, special teams coordinator. He's coached with Dan Landing at a couple stops. The pride of Western Oregon joining us now. How are you? I'm doing great, John. How are you doing, man? Doing well. I, I got so much to talk to you about. I want to know, we got to talk fishing. We got to talk about your, your uh, law enforcement degree that you got in college of course, we're going to talk football. I don't even know where to start. You, I saw on Twitter yeah. you bought a, you bought a boat shortly after taking the job at Oregon. Is that right? You you got it. You got a boat and you're near the McKenzie River.
4: Yeah, I bought a second boat. Uh, I actually keep a boat in Montana all year long. I spend my summers in, in Montana. I keep a boat and a truck and a trailer over there. I've done that for years. Uh, big, big, avid fly fisherman, and I'm actually overlooking the McKenzie River as we speak right now.
1: I love that. What is it about fly fishing that captures you?
4: Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a getaway. You know, usually you're, you're somewhere where your cell phone service isn't any good, and, and uh, you, know, you can kind of be by yourself and be out in nature, and, and it's, it's also the challenge of it, you know, fly fishing specifically, understanding bug hatches and water levels. and It can kind of be as complex as you want to make it, but uh, I love it, man. It's, it's, it's kind of a family affair. My wife's into it. My kids are into it, so we've really enjoyed it.
1: That's awesome. Do you, uh, do you tie your own flies? Do you have a guy? What, you know, where do you get in your flies? No, it's kind of funny. You're the second person to ask me that
4: today. Uh, no, I don't tie my own flies. Just just based on time. Just if I if I have we don't have a lot of free time in this business. When I do get free time, I either want to be with my family or I want to be on the river fishing. So, don't tie my own. But you know, I think in retirement that's something that I look forward to. But I, I buy them. I try to support the local fly shops where I work.
1: There you I go, goes. there you go. All right, you took Dan Landing fly fishing or fishing. I don't know which right away when he got in and he told me. He he told me before you went out. He said, uh, "You know, Joe Lorig's trying to get me to go out." And then all, all of a sudden, I saw him on social media with a fish. What is what is Dan Landing like as a fisherman?
4: Okay, so the the truth is, I've I've taken Dan fishing many times, but the the one time here that, that he we, we put it on he put it on social media, he actually caught the fish himself. He's he's pr- a pretty good fisherman. We went fly fishing. We went with a guide because I didn't want to <laughs> row all day. Um, and he he does a good job. He's he caught his own fish, tied, tied on his own stuff, did great. The one negative part of him is he likes music on the river, so it couldn't, like, be quiet. And, be outside. Yeah. and he has zero patience, so he would, like, wonder every two seconds, why am I not catching one? Why am I not catching one? What are we going to do next? What's around the next corner? It's like, coach, just relax, man. Like, the, you're not, number one, fix your cast, and you might catch more fish or catch a fish, right? So, uh, but it was, it was a good roll river, so I, I said, hey, when you're out here, you're not the boss. I'm going to treat you just like anybody else. So I was able to order, order him around a little bit, and, no, it was great for him. He's he's really embraced it. He he uh you know, just getting out and doing some different things and, and trying to to enjoy what Eugene has to offer.
1: Yeah, I think it's really um I think you learn a lot about people when you're out and you have a chance to talk and it's quiet and you're doing something like that. Uh, Joe Lorig is our guest. Uh, you got your degree in law enforcement, you got a master's in correctional administration from Western Oregon. What were you planning to do with that?
4: Yeah, I did. You know, I, I worked at Walla Walla State Penitentiary when, when, I, when I went to Walla Walla Junior College. And then I worked at uh, Yamhill County Juvenile Facility and Marion County Juvenile Facility. And uh, really my intention was, was to go into law enforcement, you know, maybe be a marshal or in the FBI or something like that after, after maybe working in, in local police. And um, after a while, ended up in juvenile probation sex offenders work, which is, which, is, uh, which is challenging work. I uh, got a call one day from my from my college coach at Western Oregon told me that, that they had an opportunity for me to come back and be a graduate assistant. And so my plan was to go back, be a graduate assistant, get my master's degree, and then go back into law enforcement. You, you make more money usually if you have that, that master's degree. But once I got into coaching, it just I just realized how fun it was, and, and it, was, it was kind of my calling. And I wanted to have the impact that, that my college coaches had on me on other people, so I just I just never went back.
1: You have so many interesting stops and you go, you're in the big sky at Idaho State and UTEP, Central Washington to Arizona State, Utah State, Memphis, Penn State, uh, Oregon, obviously. Is coaching coaching or do you find at the different levels you have different challenges?
4: Uh, no, every place has its challenges for sure. You know, co- coaching is is similar at, at different places. By the way, I listen to your show a lot, and I, li- I listen to your weekly Bruce Barnum stuff. I worked with Bruce Barnum for ten years, so I've got awesome. some great stories for you. I, can <laughs> you for I I gotta hear he that. Is exactly, he is exactly on your show like he is in real life. So he doesn't he doesn't pull any punches. But no, coaching's coaching. The one the one thing that I would say. Um, that that's kind of that, that I didn't realize until I got to Oregon is, is how, how different it is when you coach at home you know it, it means a lot to me when I when I put on the O when I walk out into Autzen Stadium you know, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it it's, it's different for me because I grew up on this you know I know what I know what it means to play Oregon State I know what it means when we play Washington I know the histories I know the coaching histories and the game histories and so um being blessed enough to be at, at, at what I consider to be my home state school, where, where my wife's from and, and really where my formative years were spent, as you mentioned earlier, at Western Oregon, is, is really, really special. I've, I've been at some awesome places. It's not meant to disparage anywhere else, but being in Oregon's different for me. It feels different.
1: It, it, you know, I don't need you to give away a state secret, but when you're lining up and you're in a punt formation and you've worked on something all week and you end up, you know, with the fake punt call – is that something you're calling, or is that something where situationally you guys have talked all week and said, "Hey, if it's there, we, you know, we're going for it."
4: Yeah, so that you know, we Coach Landing is a really aggressive coach, as, as I'm sure you've probably seen if you follow us. And so him and him and I, I put together a special teams game plan on Sunday and Monday. Him and I meet every Monday at six, and his his first questions to me are always, "Hey, how can we steal a possession? How can we change this game? What What are the plays that you have that?" That we can take from our playbook and use to have an impact. I don't want to just sit back and be be like everybody else. I don't want to just get through it. I want I want to you know, I want to really change this thing. And so, uh, I present to him the fakes that I think are there, or the onside kicks, or what, whatever it may be, um, and and then he you know he picks picks and chooses the ones that he likes. And I kind of show him on film. This is why I like it, coach. This this is if we get this look, then I, I think it's there. Or we get this look or this look, I think it's there. And then he either approves it or doesn't approve it. And the one that we ran Saturday, honestly, is one that we run all the time. Um, uh, prior at, at at that staff's prior stop at Jackson State, they'd had it the same fake rent on them a couple of times, so we felt pretty confident if we got the look that that uh, that we would call it. You know, now the part that that I that I can't and shouldn't take any credit for is calling it in that situation. You know, that that takes that takes some attention. <laughs> Coach <laughs> Landing made that call, and and uh, obviously it was the right one because it worked. But he he definitely is the one that makes that final call.
1: How excited did he sound on the headset when he said, "We're calling it here."
4: Very. He, he, he is very aggressive. He's, he is he is often saying, hey, I want to call this. What do you think? <laughs> I tend to be a little bit more conservative. So usually I'm like, I don't know, Coach. Let, let's hold back on this one. And not that I would have the final say. I don't, I don't mean it to sound like that. But on this one, he, I could tell he didn't even give it up. He said, I want what we call it. And said, yeah, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, it's good. Let's run it. So he, uh, I don't think there was any surprise. We, we got the exact look we practiced all week. And, and uh, our kids executed it really well. And, and it, it, it had a big impact on the game.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because you've worked with him at a couple of other stops, and I think coaches, sometimes I've talked to coaches who will say, you know, I that trust is important and knowing someone is important because when you're having those conversations that are very rapid and they're in-between plays, you got to know if he's asking, hey, talk me out of this, right, or if he's just saying, "I, I, I want to go for it, what do you think? And I'm sure you picked that up right away.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point. When, when you know someone, you know, I, I know him on the field, off the field, he's a really close friend, I love him, and, and you're right, I, I can tell by the tone of voice, if it's, if it's like, hey, what do you think, or it's like, we're running this, you kind of better agree with me. <laughs> right?" And We've had a bunch of those conversations as he's been here, and, and, you know, one thing about Coach Lanning and, is, and I'm not just saying this to say it, but he, he's super, super, super smart, I'm sure you've gathered that talking to him, and so um, he's usually a step ahead of, of certainly of me and probably of a lot of people that, that I know, and so, When he when he thinks of something like that, it usually has really good reasoning behind it and really good thought process behind it. And again, for us, that's something that we you know, like for instance the play Saturday, that's something we've repped you know since we got here, like probably hundreds and hundreds of times. So it was no surprise to us when we got the look and and no surprise to our players when it when it was executed and it
1: worked. Joe Lorig, Assistant Coach Oregon, is our guest. I gotta ask you. You know, I'm I'm watching punters and kickers, and especially punters. We're seeing them come out of these kicking academies with rugby backgrounds. And what's going on in the world of special teams when it comes to the kicking game?
4: Yeah, you know the the uh, the Australian people. As I'm sure what you're referring to is has, has, has kind of taken over. You know, there's there's a a, a group called Pro Kick Australia. They're, they've really permeated mm-hmm. part of college football. Probably happened you know 10 or 15 years ago. Um, You know, those kids just grow up – that's what they do. They just grow up kicking the brunham of the ball and kicking the ball a little bit different than than they do here in the U.S. Not that there's not still, you know, really good kickers and punters here too. And it's really more punters in, out of Australia. But, uh, you know, we have one on our team, Luke Dunn. He's he's a, a really exciting young guy along with our current punter, Ross James. So it's just something that that's kind of taken over. It's a, it's a little bit interesting. I, I'd always kind of wanted to take an Australian guy in my career, but it's it's weird because if you want to – you kind of have to just take some guy you've never met's word for it, right? Like, there's there's a they have, like, these handlers, and, and he, he he tells you, hey, this is the guy you're going to take. And they send you film and stuff, but it's not like, like, you can go over there, but, you know, what are you going to get out of a day or two? It's different than, like, if there's a punter in Oregon, I'm going to have a relationship with him for four or five years. I'm going to see him play numerous times. I'm going to have him at camp. I'm going to be in his home. I mean, you're going to know all the ins And I'm, I know his high school coach, like, you're going to know, you're going to have seen the kid dozens and dozens of times and, and literally at least my experience is you kind of have to take this guy that you've never met for that's in a different country's world that, hey, this is your guy. And they just they, That's how it works. you got you got to take a little bit of a risk. So it's a little bit risky, but um, it certainly paid off for us this time, and, and, and uh, I know lots of people that, that are in the same role that I am at different schools that, that have done it, and, and it's been really successful.
1: You played defensive back in community college and college, and uh, you know now you still get to coach a little bit of the defensive backfield along with special teams, but – um, you know, did you did you think back then, make, maybe someday I will, I will be in coaching, or did you just like football so much that you saw yourself potentially being around it?
4: No, none of the above, to be honest with you. I, I have kind of a, a weird coaching story. I, I won't take too long. But basically, I grew up in a single, single mother household. My mom was a really, really big influence on me and continues to be. But I didn't have a dad growing up. My uncles are kind of like my dad. So when I went to college, and I tell my players this now, and it's crazy. When I went to college – my college position coach ended up being the best man in my wedding. I mean, think think about how yeah. crazy that is. My college position coach at Western Oregon, Chris Ball, who's the head coach at Northern Arizona now, he was he was the best man in my wedding, right? That's how close I got to him. So he just had such a profound impact on me and really became – he gets mad when I say father figure because he doesn't want to seem that old. But he, he became like my dad, became like a father figure for me. And when I had a chance to go back and kind of get immersed in coaching a little bit, Um, I saw the impact that I could have on guys, you know, in a similar way, and it just really moved me, and, and again, I just never really looked back.
1: You mentioned Bruce Barnum earlier. You guys played him this year. You put 81 on him. Was there any part of you in your heart that was going, ooh, you know, as the points were – and he even afterwards said, hey, they weren't trying – they were throttling down. We just couldn't stop him. He didn't see it as classless. But was there any part of you, Joe – looking over going, I know that guy, and there's part of this that, that makes me uncomfortable?
4: No, oh, there was a huge part of that, yeah. I, I know our team. I know our staff. I know our head coach, and I know they would never intentionally do that. So I knew there was no malice, but certainly I felt for those guys. You know, I've, I've been in games like that when I was at out of state, and we play, you know, bigger teams. Um, and, and so that part of it's not fun, but, but you know, I just wanted to make sure that it, it was done the right way, and we weren't, you know, like you said, beat, doing anything the wrong way, which I, I know Bruce acknowledged that we weren't. But certainly I felt for them, and I, I was just hoping that they could, you know, find a way to use it as a positive for their for their season and a way that their kids could get exposure to that kind of environment and, and at the end of the day, later on, look back at as a positive
8: experience.
1: Your kids, do they realize how cool it is that dad's a football coach? Have they made that realization, or have they just grown up in it and maybe they don't know until they know?
4: Man, I should I should have you talk to them. No, they they think I'm not cool at all. I'm a complete dork. I was my wife and I were had a late lunch a little bit ago. We were just talking about how my daughter the other day, like I told her to clean her room or something. She looked at me like, "Do you live here? Like, like not, who are you telling <laughs> to clean their room?" So like, right? no, I have no pull, no say. They tell me I dress bad. Um, no, they think I'm not cool at all. So I'm, it's starting to affect me a little bit.
1: All right, so big emotional game. I I've not seen Atson Stadium. That sort of uh, whipped into a frenzy in 20 years. Like, I, there have been big games, but th- it was a big emotional game for the fan base and for the team. I'm sure the coaching staff last week, Colorado. Now you pivot to Stanford. How have the practices been? Are you seeing, you know, are, are you seeing that same sort of passion, emotion, guarding for a letdown?
4: Yeah, you know, to, to be honest with you, I don't think we did early in the week. You know, Coach Lanning really, really addressed the team uh, after after Monday's practice, and we didn't we didn't feel like it was good enough. You know, we didn't feel like like the energy was there, like the enthusiasm was there, like the work that was there that got us to this point. And so he he really uh, was very direct with the team and addressed it. And since then, I've seen a, a total change in in our you know in our demeanor, in our work habits. Because this team's a really hardworking team, but that's the challenge, John, is is keeping keeping guys week to week to week, and, and you really, it, you know, some people call it coach speak, but you really have to have a one and no mentality uh, every single week. And whether you win or lose, you know, whatever day it is for us, it's Monday. It's not some teams it's Sunday. you got to be able to turn the page, and it's much harder when you when you lose, but you got to be able to turn the page and move on because the next opponent isn't going to care, right? And you see it all over college football with upsets every week because – it's even more in college than the nfl because it's just hard these 18 to 22 year old kids with so much so much other stuff going on it's really hard to manage them week to week to week but uh, i think coach addressing it early um i've seen a response from our players and i expect that we'll play well on saturday
1: are you a reader do you have a book on your nightstand are you a netflix guy what are you doing for downtime
4: i read every single day i'm a huge reader avid reader and uh yeah, I'm reading a really good book right now. I'm trying to think of the name of it by Tim Russert. Um, it's about his travels. His his father passed away, and it's about oh his yeah, travels. yeah. Oh, I yep. know what it's called. Look from here. Yep. Or look from there. Yeah, it's really good. I'm about I'm about done with it. Yeah, great book. I'm a huge reader, but only uh, like true crime or nonfiction stuff though.
1: You know what? My dad got me that book, and I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. Now I gotta I gotta but go. I have heard
4: about it on your show. Maybe to be honest with you, I heard yeah. about it on the radio show, and they got it. after after that it's really
1: good we try to do that we try to do it every june we do like right in front of father's day we do hey book recommendations so we're gonna have to have you back on and have you give like your book club list and then we can make it make that public
4: yeah let's do it man i usually read one or two a month so let's let's do it
1: all right good luck this weekend i appreciate you making time for us and uh letting us get to know you a little bit and uh, we'll have you back on joe thank you
4: no problem john i'm a big fan of yours thanks man
1: All right, thank you. There he is, Joe Lorig. He's the special teams coach. He also coaches the Nichols, defensive backs, and uh, University of Oregon on Saturday at Stanford. Will there be a letdown? I don't think so. I I just think Oregon's too talented. And and Dan Landing in Oregon, obviously, by week ahead, then Washington in week seven, this is kind of like run through the finish line. Coaches will talk about that all the time. Run through the goal line. You know, don't just finish the drill. Run five yards further. This is the five yards further part of Oregon's season because they will go into a bye week in week six, then the showdown with Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies. All right, Stephen and I are going to lock in our picks for the week. Stephen, are you ready in the next segment? Can we do it?
5: Yeah, I'm ready, man. Let's do this thing.
1: We're going to lock in our picks. Still ahead, Sean Merriman, NFL linebacker. Yesterday we told you where we were leaning on the Pac-12 games. Now we can tell you who we're picking when it comes to the five Pac-12 games this weekend. I've got my picks. Steven's got his picks. Uh, So far this season, I am 36-4 picking games straight up. I'm doing all right there. Uh, My record against the spread is 18-13. That's 58%. Down 10% from last week because I went 1-5. I need a good week this week, Stephen. I need to save face. I need to go maybe uh, uh, maybe three out of uh, five or better. So that's what I need to do. And let's see uh, if we agree or disagree on these games. Let's start with Utah at Oregon State. The Friday game, 6 o'clock FS1. Here's the spread. Currently, Oregon State favored by 3.5. I would love to see that drop to 3 because I think it's a three-point game despite the fact that Oregon State hasn't looked good. Despite the fact that DJ Uingalele has looked uh, shaky, I am going to pick Oregon State 24-21 over Utah. That means I like Utah on the points, but I like Oregon State to win. Steven?
5: Yeah, I mean, depending on where you're looking, John, you can look at different books. It's going up in Oregon State's fashion. You can get them minus four. Even maybe four and a half. It's going that way. I think that means maybe Nate Johnson will be playing. According, you know, hmm. people in Vegas think he may be the guy instead of Cam Rising. I don't know what that you know does your uh, your change of heart there if it does at all. But I, I tell you what, I don't really care who the quarterback is. The more I think about this game, the more I like Utah in it. And. <laughs> I can't go against Kyle Winham, man. Every time I do, he, I know. he he just punches me in the face every time, and, it, and it's always a win for Utah. I look at Oregon State, and I just don't like the way they've played the last two ballgames. games. San Diego, San Diego State, they were not very good in that game. They're lucky they were playing San Diego State, and then Washington State, they were down by 21 points going into the fourth quarter. Like, I know they only lost by three. But I don't think they played very well in that game. They played one good quarter. And so I don't think you can afford that against a team like Utah who has that tough defense. It's going to be a real low scoring game, but I think Utah wins it on the field. I think it's, you know, like a 20 to 14 type of game, maybe 24, 21, something like that. But
1: I think Utah gets the win regardless of who the quarterback is. All right. So home favorites in the Pac 12 are 23 and 1 when it comes to winning the game straight up. Are you saying we're going to see win number two? By a road dog, I am.
5: I'm. I think I'm saying that. I. I just don't trust the, Ori- the Oregon State defense. Fell apart against Washington State, and then the offense hasn't looked good the last two weeks. I. I don't see how DJ Uyongale is going to be throwing the ball on this Utah defense. And then when they're you know straddled up to guard that run, I just don't know how effective it's going to be. I, I. I think Utah's got him this week.
1: I'm looking for the, uh, looking for the loss. Uh, you know the home loss this week, but. Uh... I just, just, I'm looking to find out who that team was that lost the game. It was Stanford. Stanford was a home favorite and lost the game. So there it is, early in the year. So good home favorites uh, apparently cover. 23-0 and if you're a good home favorite. All right, moving on. Game number two in the lineup uh, in week five. Let's uh, move to USC at Colorado, Saturday morning, 9 a.m. on Fox. I just am not a believer in Colorado, and maybe there's some recency bias. I just saw Oregon Boat race them. USC is a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Colorado's going to score a little bit in this game. I'm going to give them 21, So, but I think USC is going to be in the 50s. I think it's 55-21, USC covers.
5: Yeah, I think it's kind of like last week, only you know, Colorado's going to score a little bit more against USC. The USC defense is not as good as Oregon, but I think USC is going to show up for this game. They sleptwalked through that Arizona State game You know, playing around with it. Kind of almost lost for a second there, but I think having the game be big noon kickoff, having all the eyes on it, Colorado, hear all the talk, I think USC is going to come out ready. Caleb Williams is going to put a show on for the nation to try to say, you know what, this is why I'm the number one pick. This is why I won the Heisman last year. And I'm with you. I think USC
1: uh, wins and covers this game fairly easily. This game I was leaning one way, and now I'm picking another. Arizona State at Cal, 12 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. I had a hard time with this game because Cal's favored by 11 and a half. That line could be going bigger. I like Cal now in this game, and here's why. Arizona State's only managed 67 points on offense all season. They're turning to their number 3 quarterback this week. It'll be uh, Trenton Bourget at quarterback as they've got, you know, the first two guys are hurt. So I think they're the perfect patsy for Cal. And, again, home favorites. Cal wins. I think Cal also covers. I got a 31 17.
5: Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I, I like this one a lot. I think Cal is going to, you know, not, I guess, dominate the game, but I'm with you. The Arizona State quarterback situation is not good. Even if it was Drew Pine, he hasn't been great. Jade Rashada hasn't been great either. So I don't think Arizona State can score a lot of points. I also think they threw the kitchen sink at USC, and they put it all on the field to try to win that game, and they were in it. But I think that'd be a little letdown spot here. Cal. Needs this win at home. I think they're just the better team, uh, and it's just one of those years. It's year zero for Kenny Dillingham. So I think Cal wins this game by at least two touchdowns, and I would take Cal
1: and delay uh, the points. Oregon's at Stanford, three thirty Saturday, Pac-12 network. Oregon's had a hard time at Stanford at different times, and people keep pointing to two years ago, lost that game. Joe Moorhead went to the hospital that game. I, I'm throwing that one out. I like Oregon in this game. They're favored by 27. I just don't think Stanford's very good. I got it 42-13, Oregon. Oregon covers the 27.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's completely different teams, different coaches for Stanford, too. You know, that was David Shaw. Now we got uh, Troy Taylor as the head coach of Stanford. I think Oregon, I would say this. If Oregon played Washington next week, I may pick Stanford plus the points, but they have that bye week in between. They play Washington next, but they have the bye week. I think Lanning can get through to the Oregon team and get them focused again coming off that emotional win against Colorado. So I think Oregon, they can name their score. They're going to cover this game because, you know what, they have that bye week coming up. Then they got Washington in a big-time game. So I don't think that they're going to be overlooking Stanford since the since the Washington game is two weeks away. If it was next week, maybe this is a spot I'd go Stanford, but uh, I'll take Oregon
1: like the points. Speaking of Washington, the Huskies have been averaging 467 passing yards per game this season. That is ridiculous. They're 18-and-a-half-point favorites playing at Arizona, 7 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. I like Washington. I think they cover. I don't think it's that comfortable, but it's like 42-20, 42-21. They cover the 18-and-a-half. Jaden Delores' ankle's not right. Washington's going to put up a whole bunch of points. I just can't see Arizona keeping pace. There's a little danger here in that Arizona's defense has been better this season. But by better, I mean, yeah, can they hold Washington to 38 or 42? That's going to be better.
5: Yeah, yesterday I was leading Washington. I kind of switched my mind on this. I think Arizona can not keep the game close, but they can get the cover. And, And the reason is, is Washington, for how good they've been offensively, and it's maybe the best in the nation, they gave up over 500 yards. To Cal last week. I don't know if we can think about like they gave up over thirty points, over five hundred yards to Cal at home. I think Arizona has a better offense than Cal. They may be able to get some things going against Washington. I think Washington ultimately wins the game. But I think Arizona at home can at least keep it within two scores and uh maybe you know put a little bit of a scare going into the Pac-12 season as Washington, you know, they got the bye week and then face Oregon. They're looking ahead, maybe. I, I just think this is a spot where Arizona can put up some points against a Washington defense that hasn't proven to be elite so far.
1: You, we, I think we both agree that the, the, the underdog who's most likely to win this week is the Friday night game at Oregon State. Like, you've got Utah winning that game. I've got Utah losing by three. I think it's a really close game, but I, I don't see any of the other dogs as being a uh, threat to win. Maybe Arizona State can hang with Cal, maybe, if some things broke right. But other than that, I, I expect to see the winners being Oregon, uh, Cal, USC over Colorado. I mean, might
5: it be Colorado at home, like if they can just outscore USC?
1: come on. No, 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 no. You watched last week. Colorado's just not – Colorado's not very good. And the problem Colorado has is nobody's going to overlook them. Nobody's going to look past them. There's too much attention. The USC kids are going to fly around, and they want to play. Sean Merriman's coming up, former NFL linebacker. Leave it here. Our next guest, Sean Merriman, longtime NFL player. You may remember him as Lights Out. Sean Merriman, three-time pro bowler. He was the defensive uh, player of the year in the NFL. Maryland guy who stayed loyal to his soil joins us now. He's uh, he's in the fight game now. But let, let's go back to the loyal to the soil part. You you could have gone anywhere. Why'd you go to Maryland? It, you know, for
6: me, man, it was my backyard. And uh, at the time, uh, I went to Frederick Douglass High School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which is about 25 minutes from Maryland. And most of the big players were leaving the area, right? They were going to Florida State. They were going to Florida, Alabama, somewhere, Penn State, because, you know, you 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 know, Miami or USC, they were all leaving the area. So I just wanted to make an example like, hey, you could be a big player from here and stay home. And fortunately I did that because we had a lot of, you know, big name guys that stay home. Vernon Davis, you know, was one that stayed home and Tori Torrey Smith you know so there were guys that came after me and said you know what we don't have to go anywhere else we have the best talent here in the DMV area and uh you know I kind of triggered something
1: there. In the NFL we'll see a you know a linebacker a defensive end who get a sack and I, I think to myself that has to feel good what does that feel like you led the league in sacks what is that when you when you achieve your goal on a play and you actually get to the quarterback what's that feel like?
6: So I used to have these arguments all the time with Antonio Gates, where like, what was more harder or more satisfied uh, you get more satisfaction from, is a touchdown or a sack? And I said, dude, there's nowhere close to getting a sack, right? I mean, you can score any time, but if you get a sack, man, a forced turnover, a fumble recovery from that, like a three, a three, you know, hit deal, right? Uh, the crowd goes crazy and. You know, you're a defensive player. Is able to control and change the game. Like that's hard to do on the defensive side of the football.
1: You, you as a as a high school kid, I I, I want to say you were like an all state player in basketball too. Like you were a multi sport guy. Did that help you? Oh, no, for
6: sure. And I I encourage like all athletes coming up, man, play multiple sports. You know, play basketball, football, play you know run track, play football, do something else um, because you wrestle. There's a lot of a great football players that also wrestled, Ray Lewis being one. I think Brian Erlacher was another one. There's a ton of guys who were great wrestlers that was great football players. So I tell tell guys, play multiple sports you're coming up. It's it's cool to play one sport year round, but these other sports really help you out.
1: Yeah and you get a lot of coaches too that'll put pressure on kids and they'll say, Well if you're not playing somebody else is gonna take your position and you know, but I think you look around, you see guys like yourself and, and Domican Sue who was a soccer player as a kid and you see kids that, you know, develop footwork and develop, you know, their muscles in, in non football ways. Well,
6: I, I wasn't gonna be a ballerina like some of these guys, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um you because know, there was a lot a lot of that going on back in the day. So, uh yeah, the, the ballerina stuff I stay stayed away from. But I, I definitely believe in uh doing other sports and it'll ultimately help you on the football field.
1: What do you make of today's game and how much they protect the quarterback. It frustrates me. On Sunday Night Football, I saw what should have been a sack get called a personal foul and I thought, gosh, you know, I get it. They're trying to protect the quarterback, but it feels like uh, they're erring on the side of being delicate.
6: Well, What started all this is in uh, 2007 or 8, I believe, when, when Tom Brady tore his ACL. Um, that, that's when the quarterback rule really picked up because it was such a blow to the NFL by not having the biggest name player on the field. So I get it why they implement it. Um, and, and, yeah, certain guys should be protected, like the quarterback position. But as a defensive player, when you're going in there trying to make a play, you got a split second to, to make a decision on what you want to do and how you want to do it. That that's, that becomes the issue um, because a defensive player, you just want to get the guy on the ground. And that's, that's by any means necessary because if you don't, you know what's going to happen. You, you're going to get yelled at when you get back to the sideline. You're going to wait the next day when you guys are in the team meeting room watching film. You're going to get called out. So I, it's difficult, even though I think that some of the rule changes were really good for the NFL, like the crackback blocks, um, you know, guy being able to chop you from a lateral uh, position down. The, so, yeah, I, I get the protection of the players. like in a helmet-to-helmet contact for sure, right? Got safety's running full speed and knocking guys out. I get all that. But when you're talking about a pass rush or somebody getting after the quarterback, you got a split second to get that guy on the ground by any means necessary.
1: Sean Merriman, our guest, uh, you know, in the NFL, defensive rookie of the year in 2005, number 12 overall pick in the draft. We're going to talk to him about what he's doing now. Before I get there, Sean, you mentioned Tom Brady. Were there were there great quarterbacks that you look at and maybe the public doesn't quite appreciate what they were doing on the field? Or what what is that like when you find yourself in a game against a veteran who is poised, who knows what the hell he's doing out there?
6: Well, you know, I think the biggest thing is, look, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. There's no doubt about that. Um, But I've always had this conversation of, if I was a GM and I'm starting a team, which quarterback am I starting my team with? My answer has always been uh, Peyton Manning. Um, Peyton Manning, in my opinion, had better intangibles, right? He had a stronger arm. Uh, He was definitely more controlling, more active on the field as far as calling plays. Like, you, you knew um, when you went in to, to play Peyton Manning, you, you were playing like a big brain, right? Like just a machine that would just sit there and call out your defenses, who coming in, what gap, what audibles you're doing, what switches, just everything. And so if I'm a GM starting on a team, and i played against both, and, and I hate the comparison because sometimes when you compare two guys, you're, you're and sometimes if people eyes they say, oh, well, you're talking crap about Tom Brady. And it's like I'm not. It's just that when you're starting a team off, we talk about just basically attributes and tangibles um you know i always say that Peyton manning was was the greatest and i played against him.
1: what is that like when he's when you're out on the field you got a defense you got a blitz called or something and you got the quarterback on the other side calling it out you know he's done his homework what does that do to you
6: well it puts you in a bad situation cuz Look, our our things uh, was we, we had this thing where we had we called it Hollywood, right? You show different blitzes, you line up at different gaps, but that's not where you're gonna end up at when the ball snaps. And to line up in the gap and have paid Manning call you out and say, Hey, you're not coming in the B B gap, you're coming off the edge in the play <laughs> before the play, you're like, Okay, damn all right <laughs> You know. Um, and so it it's demoralizing because you got somebody that's that's so prepared, um, per game and those guys are the hardest to go against.
1: Sean Merriman is with us. Was was Manning a trash talker? Uh, you know, he comes off as a trash talker when he does the Manning cast. Uh, no, you know, it's crazy because
6: um, I didn't really get around to understand how cool Peyton Manning was and what kind of a person he was just in general until the Pro Bowl. Yeah. So, obviously, during the games, you're competitive. Like, you hate everybody that's not on your team, right? Just point <laughs> blank. And yeah. you want to get after everybody and you're trash talking everybody what those four quarters you're supposed to. And then when you get off the field, everything's cool, but you still don't have a, a real interaction with some of these guys. And I just remember drinking my ties and hanging around the pool down in Hawaii for the pro bowl and Peyton Manny making jokes. And, um, I, I, you know, I recall like, you know, I was going over to the gym in the morning, uh, to get some, some buys and tries, right. You got you know, to <laughs> keep the arms, keep uh, buff over in Hawaii. And, and I walk in there and Peyton Manny's doing leg press. Um, with you know six eight plates on that thing, and he this is the Pro Bowl, and so you knew that you were dealing with uh, just a different caliber of, of human being, man, and it was in, it was just impressive to see.
1: You have now transitioned into the fight game, and what are you doing with Lights Out Extreme Fighting? How did you get involved? Yeah,
6: I, I actually started training during the off seasons with Jay Glazer over at Fox Sports. Um, I grew up in the P- Prince George's County, uh, Prince George's County and DMV area where the Boxing was prevalent. Um, I had uncles and family members that were pro boxers, so I just naturally grew up boxing. Um, in 2005, when I got drafted by the Chargers, MMA kind of caught fire, and people started to know about the UFC and just MMA globally. Um, and so I started to train MMA just to help my hand-eye coordination and, and um, you know endurance, stamina, uh, hip mobility, leverage. And I started training with some of the best fighters in the world, man, every all Chuck Liddell, 2 year T's. I've got a chance to spar and train with all of them. And I just fell in love with the sport. Um, I launched Lights Out Extreme Fighting uh, 2019. We're on Fubo Sports, Fubo TV. Um, we got a big fight coming up uh, October 7th. And the guy you just named, A.J. Hopkins, is somebody who I was after for a while because my whole business really in this sport is to find more former athletes to transition them, right, big college players that maybe didn't get a shot in the NFL, or maybe a guy that uh, career was cut short due to injury, or you know, just just a, a bad situation with a with a, a front office or a scheme or a coach, and then really get their shot, man. But still feel physically ready to compete. Those guys, I believe, if I get them early enough, I can you know help them turn them into a champion. And then I you know I'm I'm a big advocate of you know former guys finding their way after they get done playing ball.
1: When you look back, do you wish that you that this would have been around when you were, you know, high school or maybe even in college?
6: So the college, uh, my high school wrestling coach, we still talk to this day, and i never wrestled, right? And I would come in there sometimes, and I would, like, pin guys. And I, I, I had no technique, anything. I was just strong and, and raw and athletic and explosive. And he would help me all the time to come in there and wrestle. And I said, uh, Coach, y- you see how hot it is in this room, right? <laughs> like, no. Um And, you know, I wish I did, man, because I would have just picked up something else in my repertoire. And uh, when I retired in 2012, 2013, uh, MMA wasn't as big as it is now, right? Globally, the the amount of eyeballs is more mainstream now than it was when I retired. Uh, and I still, still today, I mean, I, I sparred a guy uh, you know, guys, the other day. I get a chance to be around a lot of the fighters where I'll go and open mat on Fridays and I'll go get me three or four uh, five-minute rounds in and just get some work and stay disciplined. Uh, but other than that, man, I, I love the uh, promotion side of it, the, the building of the organization. You know, we just crossed over uh, to the top five, top ten most watched in football sports. And I'm a big believer in, in the fans, man. The fans will tell you if they like a product or not, and our viewership numbers are our fans that they do.
1: Sean, you, you guys I think are drawing in UFC fans of course that are, are you know are used to that, but how is Lights Out in your mind different or better or complementary to the to what's going on in UFC? Well, we
6: we want these guys coming up, right? We want the next upcoming superstars, and uh, we get every couple every fight I see a couple of up-and-coming five, both fighters, both men and women, who I, I can look at and be like, yeah, they're going to be a champ one day. Oh, yeah, they're going to the UFC. We, we love giving them that platform, man. That's that's what this whole thing is about, just giving them an opportunity to be seen. Um, and we're getting calls from fighters all over the country. I mean, that's how I found AJ, um, by you know just us getting the viewership. And I, I, I remember watching him play because he played at the same time with Justin Herbert. Um, and I, I went to a couple games and I didn't even know that he was fighting at the time So now we get a chance to put him on a platform so people know who he, who he is. I mean we, we couldn't find a fight for AJ. like people were pulling out left and right because this guy's gonna be a star one day and he is I mean he is brutal to go against. And uh, that that football background, that that work ethic, that discipline, that mentality, uh, he's really gonna do well in
1: this sport. It's fun to watch, you know that and him sort of find footing in something after football. And you as well, man. I mean, did you expect that? You know, like, you know, when did you start thinking about life after football? Were were you one of those guys who came into the league knowing it wasn't going to last forever, or five, seven years into it, did you go, oh man, I better figure something out?
6: Well, you know, I got my nickname lights out my sophomore year in high school, um, and I knocked out four four kids in one game, and. I remember after the game, I had about 20 students rushing to me saying, man, you knocked those guys' lights out. And I said, yeah, you know what? Call me Lights Out. And that name stuck, and I didn't think it would. And obviously, with having the nickname like Lights Out, like you got to go. It's like having a name in Rucker Park, right? You can't be called something, and you cannot go out and prove it. So every level from high school to college to pros, I had to go and play like Lights Out, you know? And uh, it's just, um, you know, it's one of those it, it, it's one of those things that really um, that stuck around and became mainstream, and people knew me more as Lights Out than they did, you know, as Sean. So um, to now make that transition into the sport of MMA, man, it's like I get an opportunity for all these football fans and people that followed me uh, over my career to now get them to watch Lights Out, and it's pretty, pretty cool.
1: Lights Out Extreme Fighting, October 7th. It's happening in Long Beach. Uh, you can get tickets at lightsoutxf.com. dot um, Before I let you go, you mentioned Justin Herbert. What do you think of the kid?
6: Unbelievable, unbelievable man. And I think that um, you know, even with their slow start and them losing that big game against Miami, I was there. Um, when you got an offense and a quarterback that can throw thirty plus points on you per game, um, you should feel very confident. Uh, confident as a as a defender, if you're in that defense knowing that. You can keep somebody under 28 points a game, that you're probably going to have a really good chance of winning. Um, That's impressive. And Justin Herbert, man, outside of him breaking records and doing all these things, he's going to go down. If he keeps up this uh, this streak, he'll go down as one of the best to ever do it. But until he gets deep in the playoffs, ASU championship game, uh, Super Bowl because he has to, he has that talent. He he has the capabilities of doing that. Not everybody does. And I wouldn't say it because he you know I'm a still a supporter of the Chargers. Like this this dude is unbelievable. And um you know, I, I think when they played Wisconsin was it Wisconsin they played in college for the championship? Um I forgot the game, but I was there. I was watching them, and I, I tweeted out during the combine um I tweeted out during the combine that uh this was a guy this, this is the guy. They When they brought him in, I knew automatically that he was going to be the long-term solution for the Chargers, and he is.
1: Yeah, I think it was Wisconsin and the Rose Bowl that you saw where you just lit him up and you know they kind of oh, had, yeah, had yeah. their way and with I was, it. Yeah. I, was,
6: I was there for that game, yeah. and I and I saw him in person, and I said, man, this this dude's going to be outrageous on the next level, and he's, he's proven to be just that.
1: All right, Sean Merriman, hey, I appreciate your time. Uh, Congrats on what you're doing with Lights Out, Extreme Fighting, and uh, we'll all tune in next weekend to see A.J. Hodgkin's uh, former Oregon Duck fighting and and, uh, see what he can do with it. You got it. Thanks for having me. And there he goes, Sean Merriman. I love the stories about Peyton Manning. Uh, Obviously, his uh, expertise in football, he's now parlayed this into life after football with Extreme Fighting. We leave it right here. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Coming up, Stephen and I will play... Fun fact or nah? (laughs) We're going to need to have two votes for it to be unanimous. Uh, Anna is going to sit out of today's fun fact or nah because she's at the DMV, which is not at all fun. She's in line at DMV. (laughs) That's a nah right there. That's a nah. Uh, But we will play Punch It Audio first, then fun fact or nah, and the 5 at 5 is coming up Top of the hour, and we'll lead you right into Thursday Night Football. But let's start with Punch It Audio.
3: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
7: You're going to hear little
1: snippets of sound. Hey,
3: it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First
1: Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with uh, Pac-12 game. Joel Klatt talking about Utah. Utah's undefeated, 4-0, coming off a win over UCLA last week. Never mind that it was ugly. It was still a win. 14-7. Here's Joel Clatt talking about the Utes traveling on Friday night to Reese Stadium to play Oregon State. Punch it.
6: Utah is interesting because Utah is not anywhere near their potential, and yet they're they're out there winning games. This will be their toughest test to date. This is a tougher test than Florida. This is a tougher test than, than UCLA. Remember, both of those games were at home. Salt Lake is an incredible home field advantage for the Utes. They're really good at home. Not that they're not good on the road. It's just going to be more difficult. And this is a team in Oregon State that will present some problems. They can also play physical. They can run the football. Now, losing last week doesn't help, but I will tell you, the effort that Utah gave in the win against UCLA and the emotion that they showed after the game, there could be a bit of a letdown here.
1: Looks to me like this is... Position by position, the most difficult game for Utah of the season. I love Utah's coaching staff. I think they do a really good job. I think they're up against another good staff with Oregon State and Jonathan Smith this week. It's a great battle. Both programs on the offensive side haven't looked great to me. But I'm picking Oregon State at home just because I love the home field in this game. I, if, Utah, if this game's at Rice-Eccles Stadium, I'm picking Utah all day. But because it's at Reeceer Stadium, where the Beavers have won 13 out of 14, I'm going with Oregon State. I think they right the ship. The question to me is, do they play DJ Uyunglele at quarterback? Will Jonathan Smith play him? Now he was asked earlier this week in his news conference if he would, if he would play Aiden Childs, the backup. You know, and he said he's going to start DJ, and he said that on this show. He said he'd start DJ, but here's what Jonathan Smith said. Punch it. We're always
4: discussing, and this is for every position of, like, you know, the rotations and how guys are developing coming along, and so we're <laughs> discussing. Again, DJ started quarterback, did some good things in the game, got us back into the game a couple of drives. Um, could he play better? 100%. Uh, we need to protect him. We need to make some plays on the ball. Um, and then, yeah, he's got a couple throws in there that he, he needs to make. So, Yes, and DJ's
1: starting. DJ's starting, but I still think we could see Aiden Childs. Stephen, Jonathan Smith came on the show. He, I asked him the same question. I left the question thinking we're going to see Childs for a series here or a series there in the game.
5: I agree with you, and um, I think it's the right move. Like I, I don't want to say like DJ hasn't lost the job yet for sure, and he wasn't the reason they lost to Washington State, but. I want to see what Dane Charles can do, uh, and I th- I think he's the future of the Oregon State Beavers. I think they know that. I think Jonathan Smith knows that. So you want to see what he can do on a Friday night against you know, maybe the top defense in the Pac-12. I-, I I'm with you. A series if it do well, maybe give him a second series and see where it goes from there.
1: Utah very good on the defensive side of the ball. Shut down Florida. Gave Baylor problems. Gave UCLA fits. Damian Martinez, Oregon State running back, doesn't sound that impressed though. Punch it.
2: Uh, I mean. It's another team, really, honestly. I mean, yeah, they're good, but I believe in our line. I'm really confident in our line, everything like that. So I, I'll take
1: good for the He Says they're good, just another team. I believe in our O line. I like his confidence, but I also think don't underestimate Utah. Utah makes uh, makes hay when uh, you underestimate that. does seem like
5: a little bit of, uh, you know, we're going to plaster this on the locker room for Utah right here. Hey, you know what, Damian <laughs> Martinez, this guy says we're just another team. Let's go show him what's up. But I do want to ask you about DJ real quick, though. Going back to that, do yeah. you think that hurts his confidence if Aiden Childs does come in for a series or two? Because, you know, we've heard that before. Like, you just want to give DJ the job and, you know, don't want
1: to hurt his confidence. Does that hurt his confidence at all? I think it does. I think you run a risk that if you bring Chiles into the game and he plays well, that JJ plays quarterback for the next week or this, you know, the rest of the game, looking over his shoulder. But I don't think you can put that in front of what's right for the team. So I think if he manages, and by he I mean Jonathan Smith, if he manages DJ Uyengalele correctly, he goes to him this week and he says, look, you're my starter. We're nowhere near ready to hand the keys to a freshman. But I need to get him in the game, and I'd like to get him a change of pace, and I'd like to use that series to give you a chance to get to the sideline and watch it for a series so that when you get back in for the rest of the game, you have a chance to see what they're doing. And I I think if you frame it the right way, it just comes off as, hey, it's a change of pace. But I think we all know what's happening. I think, you know, DJ just hasn't been dominant, and I think he's good enough in this game to challenge – Utah down the field, and that's what Dante Moore did not do a week ago at UCLA. He had no ability to throw the ball down the field. Just didn't look good, didn't look like he was ready for the stage. Tough environment to play in. I think DJ will be better in this game. I think it'll be good enough, but I think we're going to see some Aiden Childs. Now the question is, is Aiden Childs ready? And is he ready for a defense that is very good? Like, you know, Utah's good. Great team defense. Year in and year out. And, you know, I saw him in person for the Florida game. They stymied Florida. And they're only allowing 51 rushing yards per game this season. You know, some of that could be, you know, they haven't faced a great back yet. Haven't faced a great run game. Florida was clunky on the offensive side. UCLA, I, I you know, I was really disappointed with the way they tried. They didn't run the ball effectively at all. I, this is the biggest challenge for Utah. It's also... I think a hell of a challenge for Oregon State at home. Adrian Wojnarowski breaking down the Milwaukee Bucks trade for Damian Lillard. Woj revealing that the Milwaukee Bucks general manager, John Horst, did not talk to Giannis before pulling the trigger on the deal. Listen to this. Punch
6: it. Directly, he literally played no
3: role. In fact, uh, John Horst, Milwaukee's GM, he did not bring this trade idea. Uh, or sign off on it to Giannis Attentacupo because Drew Holiday was involved and the relationship there, the reverence that
7: this organization and these players have for Holiday, he did not want to put that mm. to Giannis Attentacupo and have him have that on his conscience necessarily that
3: he might sign off or not sign off on it. He decided ultimately, John did. this is a decision I have to make as GM along with ownership.
1: Interesting to me that he didn't have the sign-off. Or are they just positioning it that way in Milwaukee? It gives you an idea where the general manager's got autonomy and doesn't have a wannabe owner over the shoulder that you kind of know who's making the personnel decisions in Milwaukee. I think it's a healthy dynamic at the very least. Troy Franklin, Oregon wide receiver, dangerous receiver. Talking to reporters here about how the other receivers make him better. What does he mean? punch it.
0: When the ball comes their way, they can make that play, you know. Um, And obviously, people aren't out there getting double coverage. They have to play true to a coverage, you know, like a real coverage. So, um, yeah, it just helps us, like, you know, with our plays, things like that. We don't have to really, like, kind of, like, dial up special things really like that, you know, so.
1: Yeah, you don't have to dial special things up, but I really felt like we missed out on something last week. A healthy Travis Hunter against Troy Franklin would have been fun to watch. And Colorado would have done that. They would have just said, he's your guy. And I think it would have been interesting to see how Troy Franklin fared in that setting because I think it's fun to watch those kind of those kind of matchups. But we got robbed of that. Troy Franklin's great. He's dominant. I think he'll be there all year predicting big things for him. I think he'll set records this season at Oregon for yardage and possibly receptions. Bo Nix is going to find him often, particularly this week against Stanford. Keep an eye on that. Breaking down the Blazers' trade, the Dan Lebertard show, there's nothing like poking fun at yourself. Well, they they talked about Damian Lillard to Miami so many times that it became a running bit after Damian Lillard didn't end up in Miami. Here's Dan Levitard and his crew making fun of themselves, playing every time they said Damian Lillard is coming to Miami. Lillard to
0: Miami is done. Rejoice. Get those number zero jerseys ready. It's not because they're trying to create the space to get Lillard because they know they've got Lillard that this is done, that this is essentially done and all that needs to be happen now is the agents have to agree to a couple more things. No one will actually want to acquire a SAR that's going to come in and immediately make a mess of things. And the reality of this conversation is there is no conversation. There's one offer out there and it's for Tyler
5: Hero and he's a good enough player alongside the bevy of first round picks that will be
3: offered and the other types of money that'll fill in that this will be a great deal. There would be no argument
5: for any other franchise to get a great player like Damian Lillard for this type of deal
0: anywhere but Miami. It's Miami and there there is no wiggle room there. Thank you for bringing up Woj. But he's had bad looks. Well, the Heat know that he is just agenda-based shilling and bought and paid for by Portland. Like, it's embarrassing. You're leveraged, Portland. Like, nothing that Woj writes is going to change the offer. The offer's the offer. It's the best one you're going to get from Miami. And they think it's the best one you're going to get. The offer is Hero. And Hero's the best one you're going to get from anybody. He's better than Maxi. He's the best you're gonna get. You're boxed in, Lillard wants to be with us. So once you apply reason to it, no one can come up with anything better. I'm stunned by the mask being taken off of Volge this way in in a way that the Heat are like, yeah, you're just writing for Portland. Like that's not journalism. That's not journalism.
3: Didn't this just happen to Schefter not that long ago, though? Like, th- this journalism wing is not quite what it was in the information game. Like, that that part is completely different,
5: and those guys might be capable of doing some journalism, but the information game at this point is not journalism. Uh,
2: what he is engaging in is protecting one of his closest sources
3: by giving them cover, by saying, well, oh, there's no way he's going to go to Miami. It's so, all poppycock.
0: James Lillard <laughs> wants to be here. <laughs> And you do whatever you want, Lockie, and The Lions are gonna get Dane Willard.
1: <laughs> I love it, Dan Levitard and his crew making fun of themselves. We can do that too on this show, for sure. We it's got refer- a lot of opportunity. To it's do refreshing
5: do that. to hear, like when people own it, you know, because they were so certain that Dane was going to Miami, and I think a lot of Miami fans were, and that's how they all were acting. And then it's like, oh, I guess he's not going to Miami. So I thought that was pretty funny, man.
1: Well, we're so used to seeing NBA stars drive the bus and dictate where they want to go. And so when Damian Lillard gives the Blazers his preferred list of destination, (laughs) and it's one team, it's one city, it's like like when my seven-year-old is in the car and I'll make the mistake that every parent in America makes and I'll say, well, what do you want for lunch or dinner? And she'll go, sushi, or... McDonald's, or she'll give me one thing. And uh, and I'm like, we're nowhere near any of that. <laughs> and that's the one thing that she wants, and I'll be like, well, what else? No, that's what I want. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's not a list.
5: <laughs> that's exactly a great definition, because that happens all the time, where it's like, yeah, it's it's this or nothing. And then that's exactly how Miami thought, and that's what uh,
1: Levitard and their crew were running with. So, you
5: know, and I don't blame them, too, because it, for a while, John, it seemed like it was
1: Miami or nothing for Dame, but in the end, it goes to Milwaukee. Here's the thing, too. My parents, I never got that choice. I cannot remember my parents turning to me at any point and asking me for any input at all on what was going to happen as it pertained to what we were going to ingest. You know, it was always, this is what you get. Yeah, it's, what we you ha- it's what
5: we have in the cupboard. What, I mean, what, you know, yeah. what we got there, that's what we're having.
1: I, I make the mistake all the time, and especially if it's me and the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old. I'll say, what do you want? And as I'm saying it, the words are coming out of my mouth. I'm going, mistake, mistake. That was a mistake. Don't give them the choice. What are you doing, you idiot? And then, of course, the 7-year-old, she's like a sushi fiend, okay? Anna's got her trained. She's eating the fish eggs, the raw stuff. I mean, it's just its insane. And the 9-year-old wants no part of it. And so what happens is I end up at two different places trying to make them all happy. It's like I need to go to a food cart to satisfy everybody. Because so one of them's like, no, don't want sushi. the other one's like, I, t- I only want sushi. Now I've taken now, I've taken to uh, my, I've shifted my parenting stance. Maybe I'm a bad dad, but I've shifted my parenting stance to saying this is what we're having. And then they'll both be unhappy. And I'll go, well, you can either eat it or you can. Just You don't have to eat. You can just sit there and watch me eat. And they generally will eat. So that's where I'm at in this uh, saga when it comes to them. Uh, that's Punch It Audio. It's the best sound from all around. I want to break down uh, further Damian Lillard's song, Farewell. Yes, he did a song. Yes, it's reflective of generation. Instead of a news release, instead of a tweet, instead of a video, Damian Lillard has left Portland with a song.
2: Pointed at who assumed it was greater Amazing what I get in return for this labor I continue leaving trails but won't be for the blazers To the fans, man, I love you, it's unconditional Reasons for me, leaving the city's nothing typical So it's imperative not to believe the narrative Just know that what I left is better than what I inherited I leave at peace cause I know in the end that this is business Hope you remember all the things you got to sit and witness In the future, man, I hope we greet with hugs and kisses But you should know that they the ones who chose another mission Fishing.
1: Another mission. Another mission. They fishing. They fishing. They fishing. <laughs> Stephen, what do you make of the song "Farewell"? It seemed a little petty to
5: me. I don't know. I just the fact that it's he, he's blaming the narrative of everything. He's blaming the Blazers for everything. Like I understand, like the Blazers didn't necessarily put the best teams around you, Dame. But at the same time, like. You also said you weren't going to be going for a championship. Like, championships didn't matter to you. You didn't care about ring culture. But then you wanted out of Portland. Like, I don't blame you for wanting out, but these are things you said. And so it's just like, I don't know. It seems a little petty on the way out to put this right out day of after you had traded. But, I mean, it's obviously something he had planned. And, um, you know, I-, I would love to know what he is saying the narrative is. You know, and his cousin has said things about that, too, on Twitter. Like, I can't wait to say the truth. What's what the truth? I don't know. That Portland just didn't want to trade you to Miami? Like, I do you guess. think it's big? It's like bigger in their world than it is in the rest of the world. I think I guess so. I don't know because I don't know what the truth would be. I, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that Portland just didn't want to do with Miami, and that's not that big of a deal. I understand that because you trade Dame Lillard to Miami, everyone's going to crush you and say, "Oh, Pat Riley won the deal, no matter what, just because of his reputation." It's like when uh, you know if the Pittsburgh Steelers draft anybody, you think they're going to be good, or the Golden State Warriors trade for someone, it's going to be a good trade. That's the same with the Heat. Pat Riley makes a deal. You think you lost that deal. So I understand what the Blazers are doing. I, just, I, just, I would love to know what they think the
1: truth actually is to see if
5: I actually buy it or else I just feel like it's a little petty on the way out.
1: Look, he's a professional athlete and there's a stage that comes with that. But I also think there is a propensity among athletes to get very insular in their thinking. They surround themselves with sycophants and handlers and enablers who tell them how great they are all the time. And they, I think they lose touch with the world. And I, I don't, I'm i not singling out Damian Lillard here, but if, like, this whole conspiracy theory, the truth will come out, the narratives, all, I, I kind of feel like it's a bigger deal in his mind and in their circle than it is on the outside because all of us who are here on the outside know that players come and go, general managers come and go, coaches come and go, fans stay behind and stay forever. Media members stay for a while, but it's it, it this isn't a unique experience that he's having here. This is kind of how it works. I could have told you, you know, when he was drafted, it isn't going to last forever here in Portland. Like, there'll be a life cycle for your career here. I don't have to rap about it. I can just tell you this is how it goes. I can tell you, Joe Cronin, that, you know, Blazer fans are going to outlast the GM. And I'm going to probably outlast the GM as a media member in the market. Like, you know, he'll be here for a few years until the Blazers go, okay, we're selling or we want someone else to have the job. Like, There's just a life cycle to it. So I get it too, but here's the thing. Like, I don't know what it takes to put together a song. I don't know if this is a 15-minute thing that Damian Lillard does or if this is all day, but I kind of get the impression that he had this song kind of sitting, waiting to drop for a while like maybe he's had it for weeks and weeks and weeks could be months that he has been sitting waiting for this song to be released and I I just I would just rather have him give an interview or something give an interview in Milwaukee let's hear your voice hear you talk about it look at the camera look at the you know look at the fans that supported you instead of just leaving them with a song and a bunch of cryptic you know uh you know let's figure out what he meant by that's kind of marked his era. You know, the cryptic tweets, unfollowing the Blazers on Instagram. Just come out and talk. Like, you know, speak louder. Let's play, is it a fun fact or nah? That's next. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about that. <laughs> Tommy, no, you got it all wrong.
7: Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Right. Funny how? Jesus. What? Just you know, you're, you're funny. You mean, let so. I, I me mean, understand this, because I, I, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little f- maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh, I'm here to f- amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny?
1: How is he funny, Joe Pesci? Uh, the Pac-12 research staff has been kind enough to give us 12 fun facts every week. But we'll be the judge of that. Is it funny or not? And oh, by the way, I find this funny. I got the list today from Greg at the uh, Pac-12 headquarters, and (laughs) he gives them an alphabetical order. So I very quickly kind of scanned it, and then I realized UCLA and Washington State have buys, and so he just wrote buy. He's not giving a fun fact on UCLA and Washington State. I think that's crap.
5: I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. You know, they get a bye. everyone's off. Take it's a, it bye a bye. Week yeah, that's fine. That's, <laughs> that's a fun. Nothing, that's a fun bye
1: week. There's nothing funny about that. Uh, all right, you funny or nah? Fun fact or nah? Arizona. Here's the fact that they gave us: Arizona is seeking their first win over an AP top ten Washington team since beating the number one Huskies at home in 1992. Fun ah. fact or nah?
5: Yeah, I'll say that's a little fun. The fact that uh, I feel like Arizona usually has like a decent upset you know, every couple years at home. The fact that they haven't had an upset of that nature since 92, yeah, I'm going to go with fun on that one.
1: I'm going to say, yeah, it's fun. I like it. Uh, I think it's an interesting fact. AP, top 10 Washington team ranked ranked number one. Is there any chance
5: Arizona can pull off that upset?
1: No, I don't see it. Jane Deloria's got a bad ankle. Washington's going to score a whole bunch of points. I think even if Washington doesn't show up to play, they kinda win a high they have enough offense to go out and just outscore Arizona. I think they, they win that game anyway. Um twenty two game win streak, by the way, nineteen ninety two that Arizona snapped by beating them. All right, number two. Arizona State Cam Scatabo is the only running back in the country with multiple pass completions. Fun fact or not? Nah? Uh Nah,
5: because I was I, it was in the USC game. They kept running halfback passes, so I I, I saw it. They weren't that fun of plays, uh, so I'm going to go with nah on that one.
1: <laughs> they had no quarterback, yeah, so they had him. Have,
5: yeah. they he's a really
1: good, he's a really fun player. It reminded me a little bit of Jack Coletto, how versatile he is. But uh, both of the passes came last week, and so it's like he's the only running back in the country who has multiple pass completions. They both came last week. It, you know, it's not enough for me. I'm going to agree with you. Nah, Cal. Cal is one of two Pac-12 teams, and one of four Power Five teams with double-digit takeaways. They have eleven takeaways. Fun fact or not?
5: I feel like that was the fact last week. Something like they had like ten takeaways or something. So, uh, no, lazy. That's yeah, lazy. I feel like that's lazy, but it is a fun fact. Rigged. I will say that they have uh, you know all those all those turnovers because it's not something you think that they have with the record, but it's a nah because I feel like
1: that's what the stat was last week. I I wanted to say lazy as well, because I was like, I read that already. Uh, Let's go on to Colorado. Colorado is facing top ten ranked teams in back-to-back weeks for only the third time this century. Happened in 2001, 2022, and now 2023.
5: Fun fact, or nah? Nah, I I wasn't blown away by that fact at all. Uh, I will go with the nah on that one.
1: Cent it, it just it felt overcooked to me. Like the third time this century, and then I realize they're only going back to two thousand one.
5: Yeah, like it's not that. I mean, I don't know, yeah, it's not that. Twenty three years. Not that much.
1: And it's happened two years in a row. So no, nah. All right, Oregon, number nine, Oregon. Fun fact: This would be the first five and zero start for Oregon since twenty thirteen. First five and zero start in a decade. Fun fact or nah?
5: Ah, uh, yeah, I am gonna go. Yeah, that one. I was not. I would have expected they had another season or two in there that they uh, started out five and zero. So yeah, I am gonna go. Fun fact on Fun fact on that one. Five and zero. That's really only the second time. Interesting.
1: No, first time. First since twenty thirteen. Oh, yeah, first yeah. time
5: then. Yeah, I mean, I would. Uh, that's definitely fun. Yeah, for sure.
1: It, it to me, this one accomplishes everything a fun fact should. It's it's short. It's literally like five six words. Oregon is seeking the first five and zero start since twenty thirteen. Boom. It's quick hitting. It's like a little inside run play. It's a quick hitter and it is uh it, it needs no further explanation. It's not a reach. 5 and 0 is interesting to me and the fact that Oregon in the last decade has never has not been 5 and 0 is remarkable. That's hard you, it's almost hard yeah. to believe. Yep. It happened cuz remember they got beat by Georgia last year? Remember Mario Cristobal had a loss, uh, you know, early in the uh in the season uh, 2 years, 3 years ago? So, uh, then you go Oregon, back to the Willie
5: Taggart years, yeah. Willie Taggart so, year and then Helfridge, yeah. Okay, that makes As sense. good as
1: Oregon has been, this would be the first and 5-0 start in a decade. Uh, Oregon State is next. Oregon State is one of two teams in the Pac-12 holding opponents to less than 70 yards rushing per game. The other, their opponent on Friday night, Utah, holding opponents to 51 rushing yards. Fun fact or nah? Uh,
5: I'm going to go with nah. I, I just... The Washington State game, I mean, Cameron Ward just dominated them through the air, so they didn't have to run the football in that game. And then the other three opponents just haven't been very good, so I feel like it's more of the competition, and or we haven't really seen if Oregon State can uh, prove to stop the run. So I'm going to go with nah. I, there needs more uh, context.
1: I'm going to go fun fact. I'm going to disagree with you because this game opened with the over under total at 47 and a half. It has been bet down to 44 and a half, and I think this is why. I think both these defenses are very good against the run, and both of the offenses have been less than stellar in the last couple weeks. And so I think you have a bunch of people looking at the that number and that that the fact that nobody's running the ball, and they like what they see. So I'm going to say fun fact. Stanford is next. Stanford's trying to snap an eight-game losing streak against ranked teams. Fun fact or not?
5: Uh, nah, I, I they just Stanford. That's kind of a boring fact. I feel like it's just kind of you know, hey, we're gonna throw this out there. I don't I mean, get nah.
1: It just tells me they're bad. They're yeah. playing ranked teams and they're losing. That's not impressive to me. That's just, Stanford's been bad. Should have been the fact. It's
5: not not shocking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. USC. USC forces their opponents into negative plays or turnovers on 17% of defensive snaps. That's third best in the country. Fun fact or not? Nah.
5: That is a fun fact to me. Wow, that's uh, surprising to me because we think about the USA defense not being very good, and it's kind of the same thing as it was last year. You know, they make big plays, but they give up big plays. I don't think that you know lends to winning big time ball games. You know, get into the college football playoff. I think somewhere that might uh,
1: you know trip them up. So yeah, I'm gonna go with fun fact on that. I-, I was fun on that one until I looked at the other two teams because they're third nationally. They're behind James Madison and Kansas,
5: <laughs> both undefeated teams. though, John,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to me. All right, Utah. Fun fact or not, Utah has held two opponents under 15 total yards this season. Two opponents have failed to get to 15 yards in the game.
5: I'm going to go with fun on that one, man. 15 yards? like That is is very impressive. I'll go fun fact on that one.
1: That's a fun fact, if true. Uh, (laughs) Washington. Washington, finally. Against Cal last week, Washington became the third team to score two touchdowns this season. No, excuse me. Let me let me back up. I misread that. Okay, against Cal last weekend, Washington became the third team ever to get two touchdowns before they ran an offensive play. Fun fact or not?
5: That is a fun fact uh, because you know, watching that game, I had Washington minus the points, but that game should have been closer than what the final score indicated. Cal had over 500 yards. I'll keep going back to that. I'm a little worried about Washington's defense. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go fun fact on that one.
1: Fun fact. Uh, Good stuff there. By the way, I'm going to go back to the Utah stat. I don't think it was 15 total yards. I think it was 15 rushing yards. I think Greg didn't put rushing in there. 15 total rushing yards, yeah. Yeah, UCLA rushed for nine yards last week. So I think I'm going to say nah on Greg. Over under 15 rushing yards for Oregon State on Friday. Oh, over. That's got to be over. Come
5: on. It's tough, man.
1: They got 15 on the first drive. Come on. All right, leave it here. The 5 at 5 is coming up. Steven's got it. We'll have the five best stories next.
4: B-F-F-T. B-F-F-T.
3: Live from Reser Stadium in Corvallis, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
1: Well, we've uh, entered the happy hour, the final hour of today's show from Reser Stadium where Oregon State and Utah will kick off at 6 o'clock on FS1. The FS1 crew is in the house. This won't be a remote broadcast. So uh, I'm eager to see how Oregon State will play. Are they up to the challenge? Who will start at quarterback for Utah? A lot of uh, speculation about Cam Rising, most of it leaning towards him not playing today. Cal Cowan, the longtime Oregon State sports information director, was with us in the the last segment. And Stephen, you heard him. I mean, he told good stories. He had great stories about Dennis Erickson, great stories about you know being uh, in that job and in that role for twenty five years. And we got off air. We went to commercial break, and he told the best story of them all. And I hate that. It's one when of I said,
5: the, it's one of those things where it's like he maybe he just didn't realize how good of a story he had in,
1: uh, in the back holster there. I I, he, he, I turned to him and I said, everybody wants to know if Rising's going to play. My phone's blowing up with people going, is, is the Utah quarterback on the field? Is he going to play? And I know why people are asking because they want to bet on the game, right? Everybody's looking for an angle. And he says, oh, I got a good one. He used to work at Oregon in sports information, okay? He was at Oregon before he went to Oregon State. And he said during the Dan Fouts era... There was a football game where Fouts was in a similar predicament at Oregon where it was, is he going to play, is he not going to play? And he said he got a phone call from uh, – the phone rings in the office, and he picks it up, and it's a guy with a southern accent going, you know, I'm a big Oregon fan. you know, And he, and the guy wanted to know if Fouts was going to play. <laughs> and he said, he said he just hung up the phone, and he said, I'm not helping you with your gambling. And he hung up the phone on the guy. So this is not new. This goes back to, you know, the Dan Fouts era at Oregon where people were speculating would Fouts get onto the field and would he play, would he not play. The spread now is at minus four. It's growing. Does somebody know something, Stephen? Like when you see a a line move like that, and it started off as Oregon State minus one and a half, it's now Oregon State minus four. What does that tell you? Uh, It doesn't really tell
5: me much. I mean, because it's not a huge move. If it went up to like seven or something, I I think then we could really speculate that Ryzen's not going to play. But if it's just the minimal points, I think it's just people thinking
1: Oregon State's got the uh, upper hand tonight. Well, we'll see how that goes. We're going to do the five at five, and then we'll get a visit from ESPN 700's Bill Riley. We'll talk to him about this football game. Oregon is at Stanford tomorrow that is a big game, uh, obviously, because Oregon would just like to check the box, take care of business, beat Stanford, and then set up by week and set up week number seven, which is the game at Washington. Huge big football game uh, you know, looming for Oregon. And uh, Oregon would love to go into that game, of course, uh, undefeated against a Washington team that looks pretty good, looks very good, and starting to get some... Uh, some momentum nationally as they got a first-place vote in the AP poll this week. But uh, that one looming on the horizon. But we're going to do the 5 at 5. Stephen, let's do it.
6: The 5
1: at 5. The number one story in Stephen's mind. Well, I'm going to pull an Anna here. Not
5: the number one most important <laughs> story. But, uh, no, your San Francisco Giants, John, they uh, they have fired Gabe Kapler after four Oof. seasons now, the firing comes, of course, with three games left in the season. So, not even waiting for the last three games to finish out. Right now, the Giants are 78-81. and 81. Of course, two years ago, 107-55, which is a great season. But this year, since July 18, San Francisco has been 24-40, and 40, which is the second-worst record in the National League. And their ace, Logan Webb, he had an interesting quote. He said, quote, I'm tired of losing. It's not enjoyable. It's not fun. We have to make some big changes in here to create that winning culture that we want to show up every single year and try to win the whole thing, End quote. Uh, so Gabe Kapler out. Giants have, don't have a lot of money
1: on the books next season. Are uh, they going to make a run as Shohei? Uh, I think they will, and I think it's this is one of these um, firings that has a deeper story to it. Kapler is he is a intense human being. Okay, he's an analytics guy. He's intense in his conversations. He's he he takes a lot of bandwidth, and and when you win. You tolerate it because you're winning, but when you lose, somebody who is high maintenance like that, who takes up a lot of energy in the room, becomes exhausting. And I think that's what happens with with Kapler here. And I think you know the Giants move on, and they also think they probably underachieved. But I think if he were a little more easygoing, he'd probably still have a job. Number two. Chandler Jones.
5: Speaking of uh, intensity, uh, Chandler Jones, defensive Man. end for the Raiders, he was listed as an inmate today at Clark County Detention Center uh, early Friday morning. He allegedly violated a domestic violence temporary protective order. Was being held on fifteen thousand dollars bail. According to the jail records, Jones did post that bond. Later, he's due back to court on December fourth. Of course, Jones has had a kind of a weird year here. Uh, you know. He hasn't played this season for the Raiders. He's been away from the team since Labor Day weekend when he made a series of social media posts aimed at the team. Owner Mark Davis, general manager Dave Ziegler, coach Josh McDaniels. The Raiders placed Jones on the non-football illness list on September 20, and the Raiders have released a statement today on social media saying that they are hopeful that Chandler Jones receives the care he needs, he and his family, and all those involved are in our thoughts, end quote, but they will not be commenting anymore. So
1: Chandler Jones, uh, not with the team, but can't stay out of trouble. He went on social media, and he basically accused Josh McDaniels of being somehow involved with the death of Aaron Hernandez. And, yeah, I think they're saying it without saying it. They're pointing toward mental illness. But I also think that there's some uh, Antonio uh, Brown undertones to what's going on with him. I don't want to rule out CTE or a brain injury, but he's not acting right. I hope he does get the help he needs. Number three, go. Well, we talked about this yesterday, but Travis Hunter and Henry Blackburn, they went
5: bowling, John, as I reported yesterday. But today on Travis Hunter's YouTube channel, the video dropped of him and Blackburn interacting. It was a nice video uh, after that scary play. Here's a little clip of it uh, when they met up for the first time.
2: What up? How we doing? How we doing? Yeah. Go ahead and let the people know who you is. And you know, talk. Henry Blackburn, you know, played CSU. We just we just played uh, last last weekend or last Saturday. You know, just making sure my my, my, my guy's straight. Yeah. You know, just making sure he's good, checking in with him. I know we, we talk after the game on the phone and then through yeah. the DMs and stuff. And Made this happen for the yeah. people that love to see negativity. This ain't a negative video, man. It's great, positive, and you know how we get. There's nothing but positivity this way.
5: Everything that uh, Coach Prime, man, is positive. He, Travis Hunter, him too, man. I, I love what he's doing with this whole situation because it could have turned bad, and it did, obviously, with those death threats. But it looks like they uh, buried the hatchet, and they're going to be moving on from what happened.
1: This is brilliant, and Travis Hunter's really smart to, to see the, the value in this, and, and I, I'm glad these guys are friends after all the death threats and everything that happened. I'm glad Travis Hunter is fine. Big story today about the fact that Travis Hunter didn't have any insurance. So most most star players, high potential high picks in the in the NFL draft, will have some kind of disability insurance in case they're injured. Well, he wasn't insured. So it's, you know, I think a lot of people are happy that this isn't like a career-ending injury for him. But this is a brilliant move from a marketing and PR standpoint by Travis Hunter. He's a really likable kid. We've had him on the show, and I think he just plain gets it. Number four. Well, the Dame trade is over,
5: but it's not really quite over yet. As Jared Weiss of the Athletic Hughes reporting the Trailblazers and their newly acquired guard, Drew Holiday, they're expected to garner a lot of interest on the trade market, John. At least two first-round picks. Maybe even more the quote is the price for Holiday likely starts at two first round picks, but several teams in the mix have the means and motivation to go beyond that and quote, right now it seems like as if the Clippers, Celtics and 76ers are the leaders in the clubhouse, but uh, you know what, I, we heard yesterday by Mark say the Blazers get an incomplete until Drew Holiday is traded. If the Blazers can get two first round picks for Drew Holiday, is this uh is this what kind of well, grade do you giving them the win? The it's Blazers? a
1: bonanza. If they get if they get two first, it's a bonanza for them. Uh, that is one element of the Damian Lillard trade that needs to be settled, right? They need to figure out what they can get for Drew Holiday, and yes, two picks would be phenomenal. Uh, the second element, though, come Monday, Blazers media day, Joe Cronin's going to have to get up and talk to media. There are a lot of questions for Joe Cronin about the Damian Lillard trade, and and uh, you know, did Lillard really tell Joe Cronin that he wanted to rescind his? Trade request, and then the Blazers went. No, we're okay. We're trading you anyway. Uh, that could come out on Monday, so stay tuned for some soap opera drama on Monday, and then find out what they do with the Drew Holiday pick or the the asset uh, as this unfolds. So there's still more to this story. We're we're like in uh, act late in act two of this of this play. Number five.
5: It's Almost over. But also in the NBA, as the drama never stops there. Uh, John Riverback, last season, uh, the big story in the NBA was Jordan Poole getting punched yes. in the face by Draymond right. Green. Well, yeah. we now supposedly know what was said for by Jordan Poole to Draymond Green, which got him punched in the face. Pablo wow. Torrey on the Pablo Torrey Finds Out podcast. He had award-winning filmmaker Ezra Edelman on his podcast. Edelman said he re- he received a text of saying what was supposedly said, and then he didn't want to read it, but he had Pablo Torre read it. Here is what the text said.
4: Fine. Okay, here it is. You're an expensive backpack for thirty is what was said.
3: Say that again. You're an expensive backpack for thirty is what Jordan Poole told
4: Draymond Green that got him punched in the fing face.
5: So you're a backpack for thirty. <laughs> what that means is uh Draymond Green is he makes twenty-five million dollars. He's being carried by Steph Curry, number thirty, to get that type of money. Um, and then Tori, Pablo Torrey, had an official of the Warriors reach out as a second source. He confirmed that that phrase had been floated around the Warriors locker room as the tipping point to set off Draymond. Now, we don't know exactly if those were the exact words, but that's what the supposedly uh, rumor was around the locker room with the Warriors. So that is exactly what Jordan Poole said, supposedly, to get punched in the face. Um, I feel like if that's what was said... He didn't really deserve it, but at the same time, you don't mess with someone's money, right? And he says you're just too, too expensive being carried by Steph Curry. So I don't, I don't know where I stand on that. Those are
1: fighting words. Those they are fighting words. You think so? I in mean, the NBA, they are not not with you and me. Not in regular life. <laughs> you know, you know. Somebody calls me a backpack. I'm going to be like, okay, you know, <laughs> cool. like moving on. Uh, but is, but, I mean, is it
5: expensive? I mean, 25 million. I, I'll take 25 million to be a You're backpack. an
1: expensive backpack. Meaning. He's carrying you and you're overpaid. Yes. You know, so there's the translation in, you know, in my world. Uh, all right. Coming up, we got Bill Riley, Salt Lake City, ESPN 700. He's going to lay it down for us. He was meandering around Portland last night looking for dinner. Where did he end up? I got to know this. Plus, uh, still ahead, you'll hear from Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. He's going to MacGyver it again tonight, or try to against Oregon State. Uh, you know, and I, look, I'm eager to see what happens tonight at Research Stadium as we broadcast from here. But I'm also paying attention to the other four Pac-12 games, including Oregon's game at Stanford tomorrow. Big game for Dan Lanning to kind of prove that he can manage a team in the wake of a big win. They're in a new position there. But first, we'll talk to Bill Riley, ESPN 700. He's coming up next. You want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. It'll be Oregon State and Utah in a Pac-12 game here at Research Stadium. Bill Riley, he is the voice of Utah athletics. He is with us, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. But last night, Bill was at the Screen Door in Portland. It's his, it's his go-to. When did you, How did you find Screen Door? It was probably
3: John. And by the way, it was thanks. Thanks for having me on. It was the the Burnside location, which I think is the original. Um, I, I we were in town for basketball. I can't remember if it was Utah basketball or it was RSL soccer playing the Timbers. Probably six, seven, eight years ago, and just kind of stumbled on the place and. The first time I saw it, there was a line around the corner, so I knew it had to be pretty good. And I waited because I didn't have anything else going on that night, and it was fantastic. And then subsequently, I every time I come to Portland, if I'm here more than a day, I definitely have dinner at, at, at Screen Door. So All right. it was fantastic. I had the fried chicken last night, the collard greens, the mashed potatoes. I like the jambalaya. It's really good. Um, the, the sides are good, too. But I, I opted. You can't get great fried chicken in Salt Lake so i opted for that at screen door. You're
1: making me hungry. All right. So, get, you should have like a website where you have like Bill Riley's picks. And anytime like fans are going into different Pac-12 cities or college football towns across the country that they, they can find your place. What are some of your other favorites when you go to like other cities in, in the conference?
3: Well, my other screen door is a top 3 in the Pac-12, which is again why this whole conference dissipating is going to kill me. I'm going to have to <laughs> learn a bunch of new restaurants in the Big 12, there was a place called Cafe Cosa in Tucson. It was right in the heart of downtown Tucson. It only sat about 20 or 25 people, and there was no menu. It was made every morning. The chef would go to the market and come up with the menu on that very day. So you could go into Cafe Cosa and not have any idea what the – every time you went in, it was something different because the chef came up with like ten menu items every time, and then you could do the dealer's choice, where the chef would make you uh, two of the items and bring it out on a plate. So I love that place too. Uh, I'm trying to think of else. The Sink in Boulder is fun because it's kind of a classic place. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah Robert Redford worked there as a uh, busboy or something. There's some kind of he did. He, yeah,
3: he did. Um, trying to think of oh, there was a place in in uh, Eugene that's now closed. It used to be called. Papa's Soul Food. Okay, and it closed four or five years ago. It was an unbelievable soul food place in uh, in Eugene of all places. Um, it was really really good. And then there's a place called um, the uh, 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 Culinary Dropout. Okay, there's two or three of those in the Phoenix area, and I go to the one in Tempe when I'm down there. So all those right. are those are a few Bill Riley Road favorites.
1: All right, all right. I'm headed to Salt Lake City when the Ducks are there later. Uh... I guess next month, but so where's my go-to in Salt Lake City?
3: Uh, go-to for breakfast is the Park Cafe, okay. uh, owned by a good buddy of mine. Everybody and anybody, you could sit next to the governor at a small table some morning, or or maybe next to Will Hardy, the coach of the Jazz, or some. I mean, it's one of those places where anybody and everybody are, are there for breakfast at a given time. Um, for dinner, if you like good Mexican, there's the red iguana. Okay. Very, very good. Outstanding Mexican food. And then there's a place downtown that I like an awful lot called Copper Onion. Okay. So if you're staying downtown, kind of the eclectic menu. All right. And I'm just telling you, John, I, I told you this before, but... I have a beer named after me, a local brewery what? named a, a beer called the Riled Up Red Ale. Right. So we'll get you a <laughs> Riled Up Red Ale when you get to Salt Lake City.
1: Yeah, and you are riled up on air. I've been uh, at multiple games where I look over <laughs> and you're calling the game and you got the vein going in the side of your neck and you're you know calling a big play. Um, hey, look, these two teams, uh, always uh, a, a physical game, Kyle Whittingham and Jonathan Smith, both talking about trying to establish the run game. What are you expecting tonight in this football game?
3: I'm expecting that Utah is going to have to throw the ball more than they have. I just think that Oregon State is going to come out and dare them to throw it, and I think they're going to have to throw it. That's what UCLA did a week ago. Utah got conservative when they had that lead. Utah's defense was so good. I mean, it was just so good that they they knew that Dante, Dante Moore wasn't going to be able to do anything about it. So they got ultra conservative midway through the third quarter. I don't think they're going to be able to do that tonight uh, against the Biebs at Research. So I think they're going to have to throw the ball more than they have at any point in time this year. Um, on the defensive side of the football, I you know I think that they're going to load up and try and stop the run. I mean because what you have here is you know the irresistible object of the immovable force or whatever that happens to be. Utah giving up fifty one yards on the get on the on the ground a game and, and Oregon State rushing for two hundred and twenty five, two hundred and twenty seven yards a game. So I, I think you know, we're gonna see I think the Beeves will try to run it early. I'm not saying Utah's not gonna try to run the football, but I think Oregon State's gonna dare them to throw it early, so I think they'll probably have to throw it a little bit.
1: One of the things I've really been impressed with is Utah, you know, had more than missing more than just Cam Ryzen in, in, in the early four games like he risings out you know and there were other defensive players out you know missing a tight end running back gets banged up and what struck me was the seconds who come in particularly on the defensive side of the ball there wasn't a big drop off Uh, am i reading that right that like the depth of utah's defense is just really impressive
3: john you saw it firsthand in that very first game when you were there for the florida game that's what a lot of this season has been i mean We've seen it building. Utah doesn't quite recruit at the level that SC and Oregon do. But over the last five years, their recruiting and, more importantly, player development from the guys they recruit has been unbelievable. They are so deep. And I thought that win against Florida, they were missing eight starters in that game. I think five on off, four on offense, four on defense. And, and that win was a testament to it. And really, some of the other wins have been this year, too. They haven't, they haven't been close to 100% yet. And, frankly, they won't be 100% tonight against Oregon State either. But, um, again, it's a combination of depth and talent, but it's also when you've been to four straight Pac-12 championship games and you're the winningest program over the last six years in the conference, there's just a winning culture within it. And and they'll find ways to win games because that's what these guys are used to doing. So um, the depth and talent, though, is really, really good.
1: Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City, the voice of Utah Athletics and He's our go-to when we want to talk about Utah. Kyle Whittingham, uh, you know, he's been there forever. He's got, you know, Andy Ludwig on the uh, offensive side of the ball. Great staff on both sides of the ball, really. But, they, you know, I I pointed this out, I think, on your show, that they've really had to MacGyver it this year with all the injuries. I kind of think Kyle Whittingham, while he would prefer to be at full strength, he likes the chess match. He likes the ability to get in there and kind of, tinker a little bit and try to find some matchups. What happened in the UCLA game? Because I was shocked at that 14-7 score, but it didn't surprise me that Utah found a way to win.
3: Well, first of all, it was one of the best defensive performances, and there have been a lot of them, and you've seen a few of them, John, that Utah's had in the last decade or so. They were Morgan Scally's game plan, and again, some of it, Dante Morris was making his third career start. So there was some of that, too. Or, I'm sorry, Dante Moore, not Dante Moore, is the quarterback for UCLA. They they just got after him. But U- Utah, they were they were because the defense was playing so good, they got the pick six on the first play of the game, and then they got another touchdown. They're up fourteen nothing at halftime. And it was very apparent they were in control. So they just went Uber conservative. They just ran the football at seven and eight man fronts. And played the field position game because they've got another one of those great punters like they had with Hackett and Wisnowski. This kid Baumeister is another one on the line of those great Aussie punters. And they just played field position and defense, and didn't you know didn't really challenge their freshman quarterback to make a lot of plays. And uh, so they they, they kind of went that way with it. But like I said, I don't know that that particular game plan is going to be able to be executed tonight at Research Stadium.
1: The, the Cam Rising injury and the recovery, obviously, it's taken longer than a lot of us expected. And do you get a sense that over the last three or two or three weeks in particular, that there's been any frustration, or is everybody still kind of just patient with where he is? And when he is 100 and ready to go, he'll go?
3: I mean, I, I think I don't know if frustration is the right word. I just think there's just the the sense of the unknown week to week because he's getting better and stronger, and we're hearing that, and he's practicing and taking first-team reps. But I think there's just a a level of of the unknown, and because of that, I think, again, frustration, I haven't seen it outwardly from players or coaches. Maybe there is some because you'd like to have your QB1 back, and the uh, the thought process was he'd be back by now. But here's the funny thing, John you know the thought process of him being back by now was based upon hope and his hope in and, and the very high end of recovery time he's he's just right now just past the 8 month period of having surgery and most people say it's anywhere from 6 to 9 months so he's kind of in that sweet spot right now if he was going to play early against florida it was going to be on the very on the very early end of the recovery time so I think right about now is about the time that's about right for most people recovering from an ACL.
1: This uh, Oregon State team, what scares you, or what should scare Utah when it looks at Oregon State?
3: Well, I mean, Utah, remember that game two years ago? Utah's in control of that game. And then the blocked punt that Musgrave scooped and scored changed the momentum of everything. And as good as Utah was for the first half of that game, they – they forgot how to tackle, and Oregon State just played bully ball with, I can't remember, it was B.J. Baylor then, and I can't remember the other back who was in then. May have been Pierce. Anyway, they just they just got the momentum on their side and rammed the football down their throat. Utah's been good against the run. They, they held Florida, who's a good football team, to 13 yards rushing. They held UCLA, who's a good football team, with Chip Kelly to 9. But you're going to have to be on your game. This is, this is the best offensive line Utah will have faced. UCLA and Florida don't have an offensive line like Oregon State. So, uh, you know, as much as Utah likes to be physical up front, so does Oregon State. And, and I think that, I mean, you, you know this, maybe DJU isn't quite what he was expected to be coming out of high school, but he's still an upgraded quarterback over what Oregon State's had in recent years. And I know he's been a little inconsistent throwing the football, but I still think he's better than most of the quarterbacks Utah's faced in recent years for Oregon State. So I think there's a passing component uh, that maybe Utah didn't have to worry as much about in some of the last meetings.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like if I'm Jonathan Smith, because DJ has he's looked okay. I mean, he's looked good against inferior competition. He looks like he is holding the ball a little too long and waiting for things to be open instead of anticipating. He doesn't look comfortable all the time, but you're right. He's still a huge upgrade over Chance Nolan and and uh, Ben Golbranson and some of the other passers that Jonathan Smith has had out there. I'm wondering if Aiden Childs, the true freshman, gets some reps. Jonathan said that, you know, he's going to start DJ, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little change of pace. But I, I you tell me, Bill, like, is this Utah defense a defense that you want to trot a freshman, a true freshman out there again? you know, given what Dante Moore did a week ago, or didn't do, for UCLA? Well,
3: I mean, they trotted Ben Golberson out there last year by because they had to, and he threw three picks. I don't know, but that was a Rice-Eccles stadium. You know, maybe at home with the home crowd behind you, maybe situationally, yes, but it would seem a curious spot against the best defense in the league who's playing its best football right now to try to give Aiden Childs his first real meaningful reps. Wouldn't that seem an odd spot for you, yeah, too?
1: Yeah, I just, you know, and I think, he, you know, he's seen some time. They brought him in in the San Jose State game and let him play a real series, and he drove him right down the field. But but you're right. Like, I, you know, I could, I could see him being used as a change of pace, give him a series here or there and give him some plays that he can handle. But I, I wouldn't want to see, like, this being his first start. Like, you don't roll a guy out against the Utah defense. And we saw what happened last week with UCLA. Um, and who do you have? Who do you have in Vegas at the end of the year? If you had to pick now, based on what you've seen through four weeks, who, who, do, who in your mind has the inside track to get to Vegas?
3: I'm going to stick with my preseason pick, and I'm not pandering to the audience here. I picked Utah and Oregon before the season, and people laughed at me. I picked Utah because I know when Cam Rising's there, they're the two-time champions, and I think they're the most rounded team in the league. And I know Washington's improved. St has to show me something they haven't so far. I said this on my show all week long this week. The best offensive team in the Pac-12 right now is Washington. The best defensive team in the league right now is Utah. The best all-around team, based on what I've seen, is Oregon. And so I'm going to stick with Utah and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, at least for now.
1: Are, are you buying Washington, or, or do you need to see them play somebody? I buy their offense, but I, they haven't played anybody worth
3: a rip on the, that, that their defense has been challenged by, and I'm not really sure they've played anybody worth a rip defensively either that's really been able to put any pressure on Michael Penix. So I like them a lot, and they're fun to watch. But remember, John, they went 11-2 and two a year ago without having to play Utah or USC a year ago. So, I'll just, again, I think they're really, really good. And Utah's got to go to Seattle in November to play, which will not be easy. You know, that's in the midst of that conference-wide round robin where Utah, Oregon, USC, Washington are playing each other over the course of, you know, three weeks. Um, but not right now, I'm, I'm not buying them as the most complete team. I think the Ducks are the most complete team. If Cam Rising comes back and he's the Cam Rising or close to it that we've seen, I think Utah and Oregon are the most complete – again, we've seen – we're a third of the way through the season, John. Is anything different in your mind with USC? No. They look like the same team we saw a year ago. All we heard the whole offseason was Alex Grinch, second year, they're bringing in better players. They still score a bunch of points. They they gave up 28 a week and go to a team that was shut out the week before by Fresno State. Arizona State was shut out by Fresno 29-0 and they put 28. Now, they never threatened USC, but my point is I don't think USC's defense is markedly better or any better than it was last year.
1: Is Utah waiting like I think Oregon was waiting to play Colorado, and I think USC is waiting to play Colorado? Is there any of that sentiment in the fan base, coaching staff, that you think Utah would uh, welcome the opportunity to, to suit up against Colorado?
3: No, I don't get that. I mean, that's not really Kyle's mo. They play him the last game of the year too, and there hasn't been much smack talk back and forth. I, I think the fans all around the Pac-12 are tired of hearing about Colorado. I know my fan base is people. When I mention them, I get a million text messages on our text line telling me to stop talking about Colorado. <laughs> I'm like, well, they're well, they're a story. I mean, yeah. they they're. I mean, what he's done, he's a he's a great promoter, and he's done some nice things, but. Right now, I mean, at the end of the day, I think they're going to be a lot better than I thought they would, but I don't think they're challenging for the league. I think they're probably a six- or seven-win team. Don't you?
1: Yeah, and I, I i think I think less than seven. I, I have them at five or six, because I, I think they're going to go three and six in conference play. I think I think they can get maybe Stanford, Arizona State, maybe Arizona, depending on what happens with Arizona for the rest of the way, but I don't see a real win beyond those three that's out there for them. And I think it could be a really long year. They don't have the depth. Like we talked about depth for Utah. Colorado doesn't have it. It's, it was right. evident. The drop-off, as Oregon started to beat them up a little bit, the drop-off in their seconds and thirds is, is a big drop. And I think I'm curious to see how healthy they can stay. And if they lose Shadur Sanders at any point, you know, they, they can't run the ball. They are one-dimensional. And if they lose Shadur, then they can't pass. And so I, I kind of... They're not that far from like being a one and eleven team if they don't have that quarterback, you know, and and he's a good player, but that's kind of where they are. Before I cut you loose, uh, and uh, looking forward to this game, obviously tonight, I I got to ask you about Damian Lillard. There's a lot of Lillard fans in in your listening yeah. audience, Weber State kid. Uh, wh- what was the reaction, Lillard getting traded in your in your market?
3: Um, it, it was a, a little surprise. I mean, I think they were still. I think the longer this went, you know, there was a lot of talk early. You and I even talked about it, I think, on each other's shows about maybe the Jazz. The Jazz had so many assets that I think if they really wanted to make a play for Lillard, they could have put together probably a package even better than what the Blazers got now. Certainly, I didn't think the Blazers did great on the draft pick side of things. And, again, comparing it to what the Jazz did with Bear and Mitchell last summer is unfair because Ainge leased those two teams. But I think people were – I think they're probably happy he didn't come to the Western Conference because there is still an affinity for him in, in Utah and in Salt Lake City. And he has an affinity for that place, too. He comes back a couple of times a year, does camps at Weber and stuff like that. But but I don't think that Jazz fans as of late really had any, were harboring any illusions that, that Dane was going to become a Jazz man. So I think they're probably just happy he went to the East and didn't go someplace where they'd be rooting against him in the West.
1: Yeah, and I think... You know, Utah had the assets that Portland fans wanted. They had all those draft picks, but I got to think that Lillard's age and the two hundred sixteen million dollars owed on his contract play a role in Utah going, "No, nah, we're good right now."
3: Yeah, if the Jazz were maybe a year further along in this, and they, they, they surprised a lot of people a year ago, and I think they'll be a, a playoff team this year. But maybe if they were a year further along, you might think about it with some seeing how some of these young players are developing. But I think those last two years of the contract where he's up over $60 million and not knowing where they are exactly yet, knowing they're better, I mean, if they would have been a playoff team last year with some of the additions they made, and then you could say, okay, Dame Lillard makes you a top three team in the West or a top two team, I think you could think about making that move because they still had a lot of assets. But just missing the playoffs – and still trying to figure out who some of the young core is. I I just don't think they wanted to bring that in at his age and knowing what the contract was going to be at the very end.
1: Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Good luck to you. Utah, Oregon State ahead. Thanks, Bill, for joining us. Thank you, John. My parting thoughts from Research Stadium coming up. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Broadcasting today from Research Stadium. I appreciate everybody who's made this show part of their day. Had a great show here. We're leading right into this Friday night football game. Oregon State hosting Utah in a big time Pac-12 football game. Two great defenses. Two great run games. Uh, the uh, the team that throws the ball better is probably going to win this game. And I right now I have Oregon State winning this game. I love them at. At Reeser Stadium, they're 13-1 and in their last 14. If this game were at Rice-Eccles Stadium, I would love Utah in this game because Utah's won 17 straight at their home stadium. Home favorites in the Pac-12 this season have won 23 of the 24 games. 23-1, and home favorites. I'm not talking about covering the spread. I'm just talking about winning the game outright. Home favorites do well in the Pac-12 conference in Oregon State is the home favorite today right here in this game. Uh, I had a conversation earlier this week with Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. And I and I should say, as you tune in and watch the football game, if you're watching on FS1 and you're looking at these two teams, I want you to pay attention to, to something that struck me about a year ago. I, I've been talking a lot with Kyle Whittingham. Uh, I was talking with Jonathan Smith at the time. And I was watching the transfer portal. And it struck me that Utah and Oregon State lost fewer players in the transfer portal than anybody in the Pac-12 conference. And it makes sense. I mean, you've got coaching staffs, you got retention, uh, but there were other coaching staffs who who stayed together and had retention. Why Oregon State and why Utah? I asked Jonathan Smith about it, and he said one word. He said culture. And every time I talk to Kyle Whittingham, he talks about the culture at Oregon State. So I think you have two programs that have Excellent culture, very little turnover among coaching staff, assistant coaches, coordinators. They have stayed at these two schools, and the head coaches have been here. And so I think what when you watch this game, ask yourself the depth, the development. You know, you're not seeing a bunch of five-star guys, right? You're, you're getting a lot of threes and a lot of fours, and you're getting a lot of development with these programs because you're getting – the ability for players to get in the program, spend a year or two, not be needed or not be called upon to, to have to play for a couple of years. And it's on display. It's on full display. I mean, these programs just have fantastic retention, development, culture. And uh, keep an eye on it as the game develops and ask yourself, maybe note it, that, you know, what what is that culture worth? And what other programs can you see sort of developing culture in the Pac-12? You know, Coach Prime and Deion Sanders at Colorado is trying to develop culture. Dan Lenning at Oregon, I think he's got some traction and got some momentum. It's evident. Um, Kalen DeBoer at Washington, he's got some culture. Jake Dickert at Washington State, got he has some culture. There's some other programs that just don't have it, and it looks a little clunky as you watch them uh, sort of approach their season. Uh, my conversation with Kyle Whittingham, I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes of it here, but pay attention to what he talks about. You know, I asked him in recruiting, does he ever get into a living room and realize that even though a kid is super talented, He's just not right for Utah. And here's what he said.
8: Yeah, we have we put a high premium on uh, the kid's attitude and culture, or not culture, but uh, character, and uh, making sure that he's a good fit for us. And, and uh, we've turned away hunt, literally hundreds of really good football players that we just didn't think were, were good fits for our
1: program. you ever look over and go, hey, I was wrong about that kid, or do you <laughs> mostly get him right? <laughs>
8: Well, absolutely, you're wrong a certain period of time. I don't know anybody that's 100% accurate in recruiting. In fact, you know, we have a, a, another adage here. If you can be right on two out of every three kids you bring into the program, if two of those kids end up being really good players for you, you're going to win championships. If, if you're right on one out of two, then you're going to be okay. And if you're one out of three, you're going to get fired. And so uh, you know, with an 85-man roster, if you've got two out of every three guys in your program that's, that's uh, a, a player, then you got a really solid two deep and, and you can function.
1: Oregon State, uh, you know, three and one this season. Ranked, uh, this should be a big game, good game on Friday night. What do you see on film?
8: The same thing we see on film every year with Oregon State. I mean, Jonathan Smith, I think, is an outstanding football coach. One of the best in the country. I've said that many times. Uh, offensively, it starts with their line. Their O line is as well coached as anybody in the country. They're physical. They're uh, they work in sync uh, as well as anybody. I mean, those those guys are really uh, have a lot of uh, continuity and and uh, they just play well and. and I, you know, attributed to coaching them. Obviously, they're getting the right guys in there, you know, physically. But, but they coach them up. They always have, a, you know, at least one running back this year. They got a couple that are really hard nosed and, and uh, really get uh, north and south and then slam it up in there. Uh, DJ at quarterback, you know, that was an, another addition for them. They got speed on the outside. They're not a really, uh, you know, big re- receiving core, but they got speed out there. And so, so I, we see uh, pretty much what we've seen uh, ever since Jonathan arrived. Although he just keeps making the program better better you know last year they won 10 games uh defensively they're very active very tough flight of the football uh, aggressive and so uh not, not much difference from year to year you, you see a lot of uh, a lot of the same good qualities showing up
1: do you look back i know they beat you there two years ago you beat them at your place last year do you go back and look at those games or you mostly focus on the personnel they have now
8: we look at everything that uh, is our, as at our, at our disposal, and and that is certainly uh, games that we've studied. We go back last year, you know, all their games. We break down, you know, in this day and age with with computers and how uh, readily available all the information is. Where where you used to break down three or four games back in the old days when you're watching 16 millimeter film, now you can break down you know a dozen or more games and have them right there at your disposal. So we we do as much. Uh, you know, break down as we feel is uh, applicable to uh, to helping us put the game plan together. How much
1: self scouting do you do?
8: A lot. That's a lot. You better know what the opponent knows about you. If you don't know about yourself, what the opponent knows about yourself, then then that's not a good thing. And so we uh, we make sure we do that uh, continually throughout the season, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully that you know we can. Uh, You know, again, know what they know because if you don't, uh, you're at a disadvantage.
1: I have a lot of parents who reach out to me, coach, and say, you know, hey, I've got a promising high school player or middle school player or pop Warner player, and they want advice and they want to know how do I get my kids seen, how do I get noticed. What do you tell people who ask you that?
8: Just put it on tape. I mean, play. Every, tape is so readily available, like I said, there's no. You used to be able to find, uh, you know, turn over rocks and find guys that nobody knew about and hidden gems and that type of thing. That that day and age is almost non-existent because because the huddle film and everything is so accessible. It used to take you weeks and weeks for a coach, a high school coach, to send you tape. You can get it, uh, you know, in two seconds. You dial up the computer and and you can watch the tape. And and my advice would be, you know, play hard every snap. You know, you, you know, because what you put on tape is who you are. And if you're a guy that plays hard two or three plays and takes a play or two off, I mean, that that's not going to help your cause. So, bottom line, play hard. You know, play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Excel in the classroom. I mean, that's a big part of it as well, obviously, is making sure that, that your, your grades are up to snuff. And, and if you can do those two things, they'll find you. College recruiters will
1: find you. Good advice there from Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham. They'll find you. All right, I'm going to leave it right here because We've got Utah and Oregon State ready to kick it off. They'll be on FS1 coming up at 6 o'clock, top of the hour. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day. It's been a lot of fun to broadcast today from Research Stadium. Uh, Make sure you grab a podcast of the show if you want to catch any of the interviews. You can get all the interviews all week long, from Jonathan Smith to the great uh, conversation we had yesterday with Joe Lorig, the special teams coordinator and coach at Oregon. That was a great talk. Loved that conversation. Um, also, Anthony Gould, the wide receiver at Oregon State. He was on the program earlier in the show. Sean Merriman joined us this week, NFL linebacker. We're going to have great shows next week as well. As, uh, you know, Oregon, after they get through tomorrow's game against uh, Stanford, will have a bye week, and then they'll be focused uh, totally on the game with Washington. But uh, again, I'll have all the coverage tonight's game, all the weekend games, Oregon, Oregon State. All of it at johnkanzano.com Give it a look there. That's where you can find me if you're looking for my written work. All right, the bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Have a great weekend, everybody.